Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle. Hello, Tom. I'm Andrea. And hello to you and a fuzzy pickles to you as well, because my name is Tom. What the fuck is a- I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to do this. What did you just say? <laughs> well, if you know, you know, because this episode is one of the most influential games. Honestly, it might be the most influential game we'll ever cover. I don't fucking know, and I'm confused as to why you just said fuzzy pickle to me. Like, that's not fucking crazy. Yeah, you'll find out why a little later, but this episode is Earthbound. What are we doing in this episode? Here on the other castle, we break down the plot, lore, and more of video games. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the production cycle. With this game being so old, we're going to go a little bit past the production cycle and, and past its release even. And then we're going to tell the entire story of Earthbound, including its mind-blowing ending. I know nothing about Earthbound. I didn't either. You know, we kept hearing it on our show, to be real. We kept hearing all these creators saying, well, I was really inspired by Earthbound. You know, we have games like South Park, The Stick of Truth. Mm -hmm. Trey Parker and Matt Stone were inspired by it. You love them. You love everything they do. Yeah. Undertale. Biggest thing that I think is a direct influence from Earthbound. Yeah. Toby Fox got his start doing mods of Earthbound, and that's what led to Undertale. So totally get that. But I know nothing about Earthbound. And I didn't either. And we're going to talk about why I didn't know anything about it, why so <laughs> few people knew anything about it, and then why it became this cultural phenomenon and this, like I said, the most influential game kind of ever. Okay. Cool. And if this is your first time visiting us at The Other Castle, we do have our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. And hello, welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome to our show indeed. I'm happy that Earthbound brought you in. I'm happy any game brings anybody in, honestly. And yeah, over at our website, we've got things like our item shop. We've also got a link to our Patreon where you can support the show. So thank you to all of you that do support the show. Thank you to everybody else. Uh, we also have a couple announcements at the end of this episode for fans of the show. So we want to uh, make sure you stick around after the episode to uh, hear all about that. Like a post credit scene? Yeah, kind of a post credit scene. It's me, Blorko. Well, anyway, the history of Earthbound begins with a man named Shigesato Itoi. He was a copywriter for an advertising agency who was the top guy when it came to making up slogans. Oh, I love that. Yeah, he was a very talented writer, and he would gain some notoriety when he teamed up with Haruki Murakami to release a series of short stories. Now, Murakami is now considered to be one of the greatest living Japanese authors. Oh, very cool. And this series of short stories helped him to become so. But for Shigesato Itoi, he was able to land a job at the Japanese animation house, Studio Ghibli. Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah, he became a writer for them, and he even went on to be the Japanese voice of the father in My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, I yeah. love that. I love Totoro. He's beautiful, and I just want him to pick me up from the bus stop. Yeah, Totoro is one of the, like, five animes I've ever seen. <laughs> Three of which I think are Ghibli movies? Yeah, most definitely they are. <laughs> What's your favorite Ghibli? I would say My Neighbor Totoro, honestly. Yeah. You know, it's really fun. He's And Totoro's such a great character. Like, he doesn't do too much, but he's the most supportive giant friend you've ever had. I'm a big fan of Spirited Away. Yeah, I just feel like Studio Ghibli is kind of like the Don Bluth studios. They do kind of the darker animation shit. Yes, it's definitely not all uh, Disney fucking puppies and rainbows and shit. Bright eyes and shit, yeah. Yeah. Doing My Neighbor Totoro made him kind of a star in Japan. Totally. Because also, he's really good looking. Is he? Hell yeah, what's up? Yeah, he was kind of a heartthrob, especially in his 20s. He went from the dad in 
fucking Totoro to the zaddy of Japan. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. And he moved on from Studio Ghibli to the mighty Nintendo. I've heard of them as well. Yeah. Um, he was just a big fan of video games, and he felt he could bring a lot to the medium. Totally. And he continued just as a copywriter. He made ads for Nintendo games, and a lot of it really helped Nintendo to kind of obtain dominance in the console market. And while working at Nintendo, he started writing an RPG adventure that he titled Mother. And thanks to his reputation, he was given the opportunity to pitch a game directly to Nintendo legend Shigeru Miyamoto himself. He's shown up on this show, too. A few times. Yeah, if you're unfamiliar, he created Mario. Yeah. <laughs> and Zelda and Donkey Kong, all of them. And this was actually going to be the very first time he was going to meet this legend of a man. And Shigeru's reaction to Mother made Itoi cry. Oh, in a good way, right? No, Shigeru didn't get it at all. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> There's nothing more heartbreaking than being like, here's my passion project and being like, I just don't get it. It's giving forgetting Sarah Marshall where she's right. like, please don't play it again. <laughs> well, to be fair, Shigeru Miyamoto has always said he doesn't care for RPGs. Oh. And it's actually why he made the Zelda series, because he wanted to show what he thought an RPG should look like. Okay, got you. Yeah, he just didn't really like the whole, like, menu-based gameplay of it all. Mm. And he was also apprehensive because Nintendo had been having a really ugly time working with celebrities on video games. Really? Yeah, like, there was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, and then he uh, went and got arrested for terrible things. Punching out. And then there's Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, which, yeah, he also got accused of some terrible things, but also the game was a horrible flop. <laughs> and while Itoi wasn't famous in the U.S., he was very popular in Japan. So he's still like, oh, it's a celebrity project. What the fuck? Yeah. But Shigeru Miyamoto could tell that there was something special about this pitch. So he said he wanted to see how it played as a game at the very least. So with this green light, Shigesato Itoi went on to create Ape Inc., where they went off to make Mother. Ah. And it was an absolute smash of an RPG. With its main character, Ninten, people loved the meta-commentary, and lack of aggressive, hyper-masculine energy present in most games of the era. I love any space that's not hyper-masculine, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, and in fact, they've kind of gone on to describe it as more of a feminine game than anything. Well, it's called Mother. Right, exactly. And the intention was just to make it so that way anyone would want to play it, male or female. Love that. Japanese audiences ate it up and wanted more. And it was so good, Nintendo of America wanted it for American audiences. And they set about localizing the game to the Nintendo Entertainment System. But they quickly found out that releasing it on the NES was going to be way too expensive. Really? It's just in terms of licensing and translation and stuff like that? No, actually, the game was just too big. Oh, so like in terms of fitting it on a cartridge? Yeah, it was going to require a oh. custom battery inside the cartridge just to handle <laughs> the save system. Holy shit. So they canceled the localization. And ask that the next game that they make kind of takes those things into consideration. Can you do this bit smaller, please? <laughs> well, the best thing that came out of it, though, was Nintendo saw that the translating part was actually really easy. Nintendo of America had a whole team of people that really wanted to do it. So they just always thought, we're not going to do it because we have to do all the work. But then they didn't realize that an entire team of people waiting to do all the work. Oh, we have the workforce. This is fine. And so American audiences started seeing a shitload of great Japanese games get ported to the NES right at the end of its lifespan. Okay, so this at least kickstarted a great movement of bringing these games to a more global scale. Yeah, it did. 
And Mother released at the end of the NES slash Famicom's life as the super generation of systems was going to release soon. So the next game in the Mother franchise was going to come out on the Super Famicom slash Super Nintendo. And working with this new system, Mother 2 set about adding as much color and pixels as the system could possibly handle. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and it resulted in nearly every battle in the game having a custom background. Oh, that's fucking sick. And those backgrounds took two years alone to complete. Just the backgrounds, just for the battles? Holy just for shit. the backgrounds, yeah. And they kind of look like screensavers. They were always like moving and waving and, and doing all sorts of cool like visual tricks. Oh, so it's not even just a static image. It's like a whole rendered piece. Yeah. And the project ended up being a bit larger than Itoi knew how to handle. <laughs> and he needed some help. And they enlisted the help of another Nintendo legend and future president of the Nintendo company. I thought you were just going to say future president. <laughs> Be like, it was John F. Kennedy. <laughs> no, a man named Satoru Iwata. He was then president of game production company, HAL Laboratory. Now, HAL Laboratory worked on another very famous series called the Kirby series. Ah, I've heard of Kirby. Yeah, and then would later go on to help create the largest franchise in human history. <laughs> as how Laboratory would go on to be called Creatures, Inc. Ah, I'm familiar. Yeah, they're the trading card and toy division, as well as a third owner of the Pokemon franchise. Alumni of the show, yes. So yeah, no Mother series, no Pokemon series. Oh, Pokemon. Because it was through working on Mother 2 that they learned how to make an RPG. Totally, love that. This partnership helped get Mother 2 back on track. And after five long years, they released Mother 2. And it was an official sequel to the first Mother, and even used the same villain from the first game for Mother 2. Okay, so very direct sequel. It more or less became the game that they wanted to make with the first Mother. Oh, okay. So it was less like, oh, this is what we really wanted to do. Very cool. Yeah, it's not the same story. They changed enough to make it an original adventure that didn't like require any knowledge of the first game even. So it could be a standalone title, like if as a fan. Yeah, what they wanted was that the player could choose for themselves if this was a continuation of the first or if this was an original story. It was up to the player entirely. Huh. Because they set out from minute one knowing this game was going to get a translation and that anybody outside of Japan had never played Mother anyway. Oh, so the Easter eggs are more of just like, if you know, you know, but it truly could be like, this is the worldwide version of Mother we wanted to do. Right. And with this game, they used a battle system that was revolutionary for the time. For example, your health meter was on number dials. And in most RPGs, if you take damage, you take the entirety of the damage in one hit. Yeah, and like y your bar goes down usually, not a numbered flippy thing. Right. So yeah, if you take 80 damage, you just subtract that instantly. But with Mother 2, if you take 80 damage, it rolls the numbers back 80 numbers. You can actually reduce the amount of damage that you're going to take if you like either heal yourself or defeat the character before it rolls back the full 80. That's so neat. I've heard that that's very unique to this system and it's fascinating because like to your point, you can move quickly enough to fucking fix yourself. Yeah, you can. And it makes otherwise like a killing blow not be so. You just have to be quick. Yeah, you have to be quick and smart. And the enemies were also unlike other games. Like, in this game, you're going to fight everything from slugs, ants, <laughs> to bears, <gasps> aliens. Oh, okay. So there is a big jump there, right? <laughs> Ready for the next big jump? No. 
stop signs. Stop signs? Sentient fucking stop signs. I mean, I've been drunk and wanted to fight traffic signs, but okay. Yeah, honestly, everything is a potential bad guy in this game. I love it. Trust no one. For the American release of the game, knowing Mother 2 would confuse gamers because there was no Mother 1. Right. <laughs> they changed the name to Earthbound. Oh, that's the name of the game we're doing today. Yeah, and as that was the name the first Mother game was going to release under if it had been successfully translated. <laughs> it's just been a placeholder for the original one up until this point. They're like, fuck it. And that version of the game, that original Earthbound Mother, uh, the, the first one, right? you can actually play that on the NES emulator on the Switch right now. Oh, so it's, it, it finally made it. It did finally make it. That's beautiful. Hell yeah. Mother 2 did amazingly well in Japan as the successor to Mother. Well, reasonably, that audience was already accustomed to Mother and wanted to see what happened. And of course, the celebrity factor of I want to follow this creator because I have faith in him and I want to see him do well. Right. Well, in the U.S., where it wasn't an already established franchise, Earthbound was one of the biggest flops in video game history. Oh, no, they've worked so hard for this to come out and it didn't do well. They sold 140,000 copies. <gasps> oh, fuck. I knew one person that had it. Oh, my God. And because so few sold... Copies today are worth literal thousands of dollars. Oh, of course. Hell yeah. Especially if they're unopened. Beautiful. Which I'm, there's eight, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> and many people argue over why this failed. There's a business excuse, and their business excuse was the advertising. Oh, of course they blame marketing with the irony that this was created by a genius marketer. Right. The first ads for this game appeared in Nintendo Power magazine with the tagline, This game stinks. Okay, so I've done some professional marketing. <laughs> Let me tell you, not a great leading comment. Well, it also included scratch and sniff stickers of like farts and rotten garbage. Were they trying to attack this like garbage pail kids, fucking gross out humor era of kids in like the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, it was a pure 90s marketing scheme. <laughs> the 90s were their downfall. Fuck. Yeah, we're talking the era of booger and fart jokes in children's media, you know? Yeah, like the whoopee cushion classic that had a really big resurgence in this era. Just being as gross as possible. Ren and Stimpy, Beavis uh, and Butthead, Earthworm Jim. It was gross out content. Right, a lot of squishy sounds. And Ugh. I'll be honest, this ad was right on target. Yeah, but... Not the best core messaging. There's a way to achieve this without saying this game stinks. Well, I can tell you as someone who was an actual child during this time. I was. I'm very young. You were four. Okay. Don't out me like that. <laughs> Earthbound was the only game we were looking forward to. Really? This... So you guys were excited about it. Oh, this advertising worked perfectly for a 90s kid. And despite the narrative executives were pushing and have somehow convinced many to believe, I mean, you're already convinced that the this game stinks marketing made the game fail. Yeah. I promise you, this game stinks had nothing to contribute to this game flopping. Okay. Just as an adult, it's, well, if you brought this ad to your parent and was like, I want to get this, and they look down and say, this game stinks, wouldn't you just be like, hey, buddy, no. Honestly, <laughs> no. I mean, the other things that these kids are bringing is Nickelodeon gack to them, slime. They're mm -hmm. asking for Boogerman video game. They're Booger asking Man. for this kind of stuff. Ugh, God. Here's why the game flopped in the U.S. When we do older games, I've mentioned like the popularity of the game guide. 
We didn't have internet, so walkthroughs came in a book. And sometimes a fucking phone number we had to call a call center and be like i'm i'm trapped in a dungeon yeah and rpgs especially relied heavily on these guys to make like extra money on a game i believe i had the guy to pokemon yellow which was very exciting even though i could fully beat that game in my sleep at this point or even at that point as in the 90s just because fucking nerd but man, it, it was also just a cool piece of collector's memorabilia. Like Pokemon, I think, also had like profiles on every Pokemon and the Pokedex and like fun facts and like ask this guy for this shit. And it felt so much more immersive than just playing it. Like it was such a great elevation. Yeah, I'm so glad you're saying that because honestly, like these were the microtransactions and DLC of that era. <laughs> it was a mega transaction. You get one, but you get every microtransaction compiled into a book. Well, Nintendo decided that Earthbound was too hard for the average American gamer. <laughs> and since most people bought a strategy guide to go with an RPG, they'd just simplify it and include it with the game. Oh, a bundle. That's great. Yeah, and instead of charging $20 for a guide, they would just increase the price of the game itself $15, saving the gamer a couple bucks in the process. Yeah, I love that. A bundle. It's great. Well, this would also require new packaging, as a book is much larger than a Super Nintendo game. Oh, yeah. And the box of Earthbound was massive. <laughs> it was literally the size of the laptop I'm looking at right now. Oh, shit. Earthbound released in the U.S. about a year after Mother 2 in Japan on June 5th, 1995. And consumers did not see this bundle as a deal. Oh, just because it was a really expensive game instead of just a game. They didn't consume it as a bundle. They just saw it as like a title. Yeah, right? it was an oversized $75 game that mm. also didn't fit in the collection. That's a lot of 90s money. Yeah, as a kid who wanted nothing more than to play Earthbound, it was also viewed as the game made for rich kids only. Mm, so huge barrier to entry. Yeah, and spoiler alert, rich kids aren't the good guys in this game. Oh, no. So the audience buying the game were not relating to the heroes of the story. <laughs> and the upfront cost was just too high. And with so many amazing RPGs on Super Nintendo already, like Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger, Earthbound just came and went without ever gaining an audience. That's sad. It isolated the people that could have rallied behind it and then just fucking disappeared. Yeah, and most gamers first heard of Earthbound with the release of the first Super Smash Brothers game on the N64, as Ness, the main character of Earthbound, was a playable character. Oh, so he, Ness made it to the, the big leagues, but no one actually knew why. <laughs> so there was no context for Ness being there. Oh, shit. And the reason why he was in Super Smash Brothers was because the first one was made by HAL Laboratories. Ah. It wasn't until Earthbound received a port to the Game Boy Advance many years later that audiences in the U.S. first actually started experiencing Earthbound. And finally, it rocked people's fucking world. Hell yeah, go Earthbound. And while we have the Bioshock on our show due to how influential Bioshock is, I don't think we will ever cover a game more influential than what Earthbound went on to become. I could reference almost every single game we've covered on this show <laughs> at some point during this. Earthbound fans make FNAF fans look like filthy casuals. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You're going to get a fucking email about that one. Oh, I'm going to do my best. And I hope I cover enough to keep these mega fans happy. <laughs> 
good. And honestly, this is going to be one of the very few times I do this on the show. But if any part of you feels like you want to experience this masterpiece of a game unspoiled, Switch owners can play it for free on the included Super Nintendo emulator. And I recommend you stop listening right now and play it. Because it is worth every second you will put into it. But don't forget to like and subscribe. That'd be great. Thanks. Bye. But if you're like Andrea and are already here for the ride. Yeah, I, you're playing my hand. I can't fucking go. Then strap in because this is Earthbound. Now, this game starts with a character naming screen. And here you meet our hero, Ness. He's a 13-year-old boy going on 10. <laughs> Just a very childish little boy. Yeah, he definitely looks younger than 13, but also it's like all pixels, so fuck it. Those pixels are really youthful. Yeah, and he has a little red cap, striped yellow and blue shirt, and blue pants. And the game says, name him. And you can name him something else if you want. What do you name him? I named him Turbo. That's kind of my standard name that I've been using since I was 13. You love the snail movie. <laughs> I've never even seen it. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And then a little blonde girl in a pink dress comes out named Paula. I named her Andrea because it only gives you five letters to use. And I wanted to name her Andrea. So you named her Andre? No, I named her Andrea because oh. like <laughs> if you're pronouncing it the way a Japanese person would pronounce it written, R comes out as like a D sound too. So it comes out as Andrea if you read it as oh. a Japanese person. <laughs> It does kind of... I've heard that. Yeah, okay. And this time the game says, name her too. And then a blonde boy with glasses and a green business suit comes out. And the game says, name your friend. <laughs> Why is he like a business baby? You'll find out. Okay. And his real name is Jeff. I named him Henry. <gasps> oh, after Henry from Firewatch? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wanted another Henry. And Henry from fucking Bendy? Everything. All the Henrys. And Love FNAF. It. And FNAF, you're right. So you're just inserting another Henry. I was, yeah. Okay. And then finally, a little ninja boy with a mostly bald head and then like a little top knot appears you, in a puff of smoke. You call him a ninja boy? He is a ninja boy. He's dressed in a gi and like he's got, he looks like a ninja. Like an all black gi, like a full ninja outfit? No, a white gi, but okay. yeah. Okay. So he hasn't worked his way up to the shadow group yet, but okay. And it says to name another friend. And this ninja friend's real name is Pooh. His name is just Pooh? Pooh. P-O-O. -O. Oh, honey. And I couldn't change that name. It's too perfect. <laughs> so you have Turbo, Andrea, Henry, and Pooh. And Pooh. But we're going to go by their names in the game. So it's Ness, Paula, Jeff, and Pooh. Okay. Ness comes back. This time he has a white dog with him. Oh. And the game says to name your pet. He's got so many buddies. He's so popular. And his real name is King, but I went with Mabel after our cat. Aw, me boys. The game then asks you what your favorite homemade food is. Hmm. What'd you answer? Bread. <laughs> Just the most basic fucking thing. You do make a very good bread for what it's worth. I know. I bake bread. So, like, I really like bread. And so my favorite homemade food is definitely bread. Is there a true answer to this or is it no. actually open-ended? Okay. It's very open-ended, yeah. And then finally, what's your favorite thing? It can be a vague concept or something physical. Huh. I said weed. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. After you confirm all the names, you begin the game. It's nighttime, and the camera pans over a sleepy little town. 
The year is 19XDX, in the town of Wanette, in the country of Eagle Land. Eagle Land, that's so American. <laughs> I love it. It's not even subtle. Yeah, it's supposed to be America. I mean, you said Eagle Land. There's no way it's anywhere else in the world. I mean, it's always come out. It's like, no, it's not America. Yeah, right. You called it Eagle Land, bitch. Come on. The camera stops over a house, and it's Ness's house. We see him asleep in his bed, and then the screen shakes violently, and we hear the sound of something crashing. Ness wakes up and checks on his mom and sister. The shake woke them both, and you go outside to investigate. When you go outside, you're still in your PJs, and there are police everywhere. And Wynette is at the base of a large hill, and you follow a path up the side of this hill to find a police barricade. Standing there is a chubby blonde kid that knows you, and he says he's your neighbor, Pokey. Pokey. And that a meteor crash landed into the side of the hill. He tells you to go back home. He and the police are going to handle this. <laughs> he's like, I got this, buddy. Shut up. You're a child. Yeah, he's the same age as Ness. Where are your parents? And honestly, there's not a whole lot you can do anyway. So you fuck off back home and go back to sleep. Like, honestly, what are you going to do about a meteor crashing? Yeah, and you're a child. Like, you're not there to investigate, like, fucking Pokey. Calm down. Right. And you fall back asleep. But you were, again, awakened. But this time, by a pounding at the front door. Uh-oh. You run downstairs. And it's Pokey. Fucking son of a bitch. I don't like this kid already. He's giving me bad vibes. He's too authoritative. I want to beat him up. Well, he says he took his brother Picky to see the meteor. Pokey and Picky, fuck off. And while there, the police had to leave to deal with a local gang called the Sharks. And when he turned back around, Picky was gone. <gasps> You're a terrible brother. You've lost your little brother. Well, he blames the cops because if he can't blame them, then it's his fault. And he's not going to deal with that. What a fucking brat. Well, he's Chloe from Life is Strange. <laughs> Who literally says that verbatim. <laughs> He says that if his brother is still missing by the time his dad gets home, he's going to be screwed. Yeah, also, you should care about the fact that your brother is missing, but okay. And he asks you to help him find his brother. Your mom heard the whole thing and tells you to take your useless dog, King, along just in case. <laughs> I admit this will only be a burden, but please take the dog. Then she gives you a broken baseball bat and suggests you change out of your jammy jams. Your mom's kind of gangster. Here's a fucked up bat. Right. Go find this missing kid. I will not step in as an adult. Oh, she's great. Then she starts gassing you up. She's like telling you how amazing you are and how you can do anything you set your mind to. Oh. She's wonderful. And this game says, fuck the fourth wall just constantly. And she goes, this is the start of your adventure and we're not going to see each other much for the rest of the game. I mean, for a while. <laughs> Why is she Deadpool? Oh, the whole game is Deadpool. You talk to the dog and he lets you know he's actually going to sit this one out. So the dog's so useless, it's like, nah, truly, I'm out. Yeah, and animals can talk to you in your head in this game. Yeah, and in real life. And Ness has what is called PSI or Psy Powers. I'm going to call them Psy Powers. It's this game's version of magic, basically. <gasps> Fun. There's magic now. Yeah, hardly anyone has these abilities and it's not really addressed for example your main psi ability is psi whatever your favorite thing was psi weed so mine was psi weed <laughs> after you change and just before you head out the phone rings you pick up and your dad is the one calling he says kind of the same thing mom did about you being great and capable and he tells you that you can call him and he'll save your game for you at any time you find a phone and yeah, the phones act as the game's save point in this game. 
Oh, manual saves. I do not miss those. Yeah, these older games have manual saves. Uh, you have to go to a very specific location in order to save your game. Fucking terrible. And this game, <laughs> it's your absentee father via telephone. Oh. Because as we already know, the series is called Mother in Japan. And this is because it's named after a John Lennon song of the same name. Oh, okay. Where John wrote about growing up without a father. And Itoi also grew up without a father figure. And in the first two mother games, dad is just a phone. Wow. Oh, Oh, that's sad. Fuck. It is. Dad also introduces you to the game's currency system, which is an ATM card that you need to use to pull money out in order to buy things on your adventure. And like, I've heard tons of people bitch about this entire system. And yet GTA 5 used the exact same one. <laughs> and you end the call with dad and finally head out with Pokey to find his brother, Picky. You scale the hill again, and this time, all the cops are gone. And you can see the meteor crash, and it's not like a huge meteor by any means, maybe size of like a jumbo beach ball. Oh, okay, so really tiny. Yeah, and it's glowing as it's embedded in the ground. Oh, fun, but it's crazy. Nearby, Picky is just sitting alone. And he says that Pokey ran away crying earlier and just left him there. <laughs> Pokey's a little dumb shit. I had the exact feeling about him when we first met him. I hate him. He sucks. I love this. It, He's like Doofus Drake in DuckTales. Just like a little fat shit. Doofus Drake is the perfect comparison. Damn. That's really good. <laughs> I just watched that the other day. Oh, I love that. I like that Picky's like, that bitch ass left on this hill next to this crazy ass space rock that I wasn't fucking missing. I was just trying to not be stranded. Like, and he did the right thing. You know, if you get abandoned, you're supposed to not move and like stay within kind of where you were last seen because that's where people will think to go find you. Like, that's just a good life tip. Like if you go hiking, you get lost. You're like, cool, I'll kind of stay where people last saw me. I don't know if this was just a generational thing, but we called it hug a tree. Yeah, I did not get that part. No, okay, yeah. Like, if you're lost, you're supposed to hug a tree and just stay there until somebody comes and finds you. Okay, so my uh, non-suburban youth growing up was when you're in the mall and you get lost, <laughs> you stay, like, in or near the last store you were seen at with your parent or whatever. So I guess hug the mannequin would be the equivalent for my generation growing up. Yeah. Not even generation, I guess locality. Um, I grew up in a large city area and I know you spent time in the Midwest and stuff as a kid. So yeah, trees make sense for you. But mine was like, if you're in Claire's, stay in fucking Claire's, I guess. <laughs> but st- yeah, Picky did the right thing. Pokey fucking sucks. He is doofus Drake. And Pokey's like, whatever, let's go home. Pokey's so useless and ungrateful. I hate him. Is he the villain? Can he be the villain? I think he's the villain. Well, as you walk by the meteor, Pokey asks you if you can hear something, like the sound of a buzzing fly. It's me, the sound of your head after I beat you. And then a light beam shoots up out of the meteor into the sky. Oh no. Up from the meteor comes a buzzing beetle, who's definitely not a bee, and their name is Buzzbuzz. Hey, Buzzbuzz. And they're from 10 years in the future. Oh no. He tells you that in the future, a being named Gygus, has taken over the world and plunged it into eternal darkness and destruction. In the future, his species has a famous saying from the ancient times, which is like now. Right. (laughs) It says, when the chosen boy reaches the point, he will find the light. The passing of time will shatter the nightmare rock and will reveal 
the path of light. It's basically Kingdom Hearts. This shit definitely isn't about Pokey, too. Pokey's dumb as hell. Buzz Buzz says that he believes you are that boy. Gygus began his master plan during your time, and it's up to you to stop him before he becomes the destroyer of worlds in Buzz Buzz's time. It's Deadpool, too. The three things you need to value above all others in order to defeat Gygus are wisdom, courage, and friendship. Which just, that's the theme of this fucking season, isn't it? <laughs> Even bad friendships sometimes. Yeah, just value that above all else. I get you. The legend says that three boys and a girl will be the ones to defeat Gygus. And one of them's definitely not Pokey. Well, you already got three boys, so you're almost there. BuzzBuzz says that this is about as much as they can tell you now, and that they'll fill you in on more later. Pokey realizes there's three of you, and he goes, Uh, I hope you're not counting us as two of the three boys, because we are not into this. <laughs> Bitch ass. And the three of you head back to Pokey and Picky's house to try and beat their dad home. On the way home, a beam of light shoots down from the sky in front of you. Oh no. And a silver man stands in front of you. And this is a very classic earthbound creature called a star man. And it was used in most of the advertising and has reached kind of meme status at this point. And now it's a weekend song. He's a motherfucking star man. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just gave me like the saddest look of like, don't do it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an alien humanoid robot looking thing. And he tells Buzz Buzz that he is here to stop him from foiling Master Gygus' plans in the future and to prepare for battle. Oh, no. So you have to fight him with your broken baseball bat. Hell yeah. Buzz Buzz is scared because he didn't think Gygus would realize he went back in time. Now, you're going to have to fight Gygus' forces here in your time, as well as just regular old people with evil thoughts in their minds. Oh, no. So just like creeps and aliens and shit. He's kind of Thanos in Endgame with his time travel army. Yeah. Oh, shit. Also, watch out for animals. They're going to give you some trouble, too, because Gygus is making them angry as well. He can control the animals? Well, Gygus is never really explained. Okay. <laughs> We're never going to see Gygus in this game, and we still, today even, don't really understand what he is. Huh. All right. He's basically the living, breathing concept of evil. <laughs> Just generic bad person. Yeah, and the influence of Gygus is starting to show. And if you don't defeat it, it'll win in Buzz Buzz's time. Oh, no. You get back to Pokey and Picky's house, and Mom and Dad are both there waiting for your return. Ah, you didn't beat Dad home. Pokey and Picky run straight upstairs, and Dad excuses himself. And follows behind. Oh, he's going to beat them. Oh, he beats the shit out of these kids. Oh, no, there's child abuse immediately. <laughs> yeah, in the Japanese version, it was very clearly them getting beat. And in the U.S. version, they added a screech sound to make it sound like he was just yelling at them. Oh. But I'm going to be honest, it sounds more like a beating in the U.S. version than it does in the <laughs> Japanese version. <laughs> like they're screaming from getting their asses beat. Yeah, he hit the shit out of these kids. Oh, no. Dad comes back out and wants to know what you're still doing there. He's like icing his knuckles and shit. Not in the house. He wants to know what you're still doing living next door. That's not your fucking fault. Well, your deadbeat shitbag of a father <gasps> borrowed $100,000 from him and then left you and your family behind. 
Oh my god. Your presence reminds him daily of that fact, and he wants your family gone from his sight. Holy shit, there's so much happening. We're barely into the gameplay. What the fuck? You've had, what, one battle so far? This is insane. Yeah, Boki's family is the rich family in town. Yeah, rich assholes. And Dad wants you to believe that ever since that loan, they now live in poverty in their little McMansion. He made a bad decision, and it's not your fault. And his wife comes over and says that her husband is just too lenient, and that's why nice guys like him always finish last. Oh my god, she's just enabling him. Well, Buzz Buzz is annoyed by all this. Hell, well, Buzz Buzz is still there. <laughs> yeah, and he starts flying about her head, annoying her. Good. And she smacks him, and he falls to the ground dead. <gasps> oh no! <laughs> the time-traveling bug is deceased. Well, almost, because as he dies... He tells you that you must start your adventure alone. But before he goes, he tells you that in order to defeat Gygus, you're going to need to unite your power with the Earth. The Earth can then channel your power and multiply it to defeat Gygus, kind of like the fifth element. And you need to collect some power before you can do that. And there are eight sources of power that you must collect first. This is all while he's dying. <laughs> he's having a full moment. Each power source creates a melody that permeates the area around it. Fortunately for you, the first power source is here in Wynette. Buzz Buzz gives you a stone that will allow you to absorb the power to keep as your own as represented by that melody. So it's basically going to absorb that song. And the locations of these sources of power will become your sanctuaries. Basically a place to go and like heal up if you need to throughout the game. Okay. Now before he dies, real quick. <laughs> He just wants to make sure you got all that. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you can make him repeat the whole fucking thing. Wait, stay alive for two more minutes. I want to run through this one more time. But if you say you did get all that, he finally dies. Holy shit. Are, are Pokey and Pikey's parents just watching this happen in their living room? Yeah, they're watching you talk to a bug on their floor. <laughs> and he's like, I just want you to fucking move. I hate your family so goddamn much. We go back outside and it's finally daytime. Now you can fully explore the town of Wynette. You can go to the drugstore, the hotel, the hospital, some houses, you know, typical RPG shit. And you can dig around in trash cans. However, the big difference being, there is nothing to loot inside of a person's home. Oh, that's the most fun thing in anything. Yeah, there's no pots to look in, no bookshelves, no wastebaskets, nothing. And one person even calls out other video games. For even having that mechanic. <laughs> Making fun of a certain series, saying only a jerk would go and break all the clay pots in a stranger's home. <laughs> in the drugstore, you can also find a little white dog. And if you talk to it, you find out its name is Ruffini. And he is being possessed by the game's designer. No. And he teaches you how to, like, equip shit you buy. Now, what does that sound like to you? <laughs> Toby Fox did the exact same thing in Undertale. He <laughs> put right. himself into the game as a white dog. As a little white dog, yeah. But his dog isn't as helpful. His dog is literally called Annoying Dog. <laughs> but I love that. As you explore Wynette, you have to battle some of those gang members, the Sharks. Is that the gang from West Side Story? I think it's one of the West Side Story gangs, yeah. The Jets and the Sharks? Yeah. Yeah. 
Are they snapping? They're not snapping, no. Boo, they are the least helpful sharks. Are they street sharks? They're still very music-based, though, because you do eventually get to the gang boss, Frank, and it's playing Johnny B. Good in the background. Oh, my God. Just straight up Johnny B. Good? Here's the thing. is This is another reason why it was so difficult to port this game to U.S. The musical licensing? They were worried about musical licensing. Ah. So remember, this game was named after a John Lennon song. Oh, right. A lot of the music is Beatles. Oh, that's like notoriously one of the most expensive, unlicensable pieces of uh, music in the world. Yeah. And so there are a lot of songs that are so, so close to just sounding like a Beatles song. They're all ripoffs. Okay, so they did like just slight variations to be able to sneak it under the sensors. Yeah, but it is so damn close to the real things that Nintendo was terrified of this game. Does that make walkthroughs of this game difficult to find because of copywriting? No, because in the end, they did distort it well enough that it is not as bad. Okay, that's good. So this was very musical based. And yeah, like I said, Johnny B. Good does play in the background (laughs) during Frank's boss battle. I love that. When you defeat him, he tells you where the entrance to the first power source is located. It's a place called the Giant Step. It's up in the hills, but to get there, you need to go through a locked up shack to which only the mayor in town has the key. The mayor! And there's like a ton of fetch quests in this game. You love those. I don't necessarily, but you know, this is an earlier RPG, and so it was something that they just kept going back to. Are there a lot of generators in this game? No generators, no. Okay, so you don't hate this. No, I don't. The mayor is grateful that you beat Frank so badly that he pissed his pants. The mayor just says that? Like, that's how fast the rumor went through? Is like, I heard you made someone piss their pants? Yeah, that's kind of a big continuing joke throughout the game is making somebody piss their pants. (laughs) That's amazing. And he gives you the key to the shack. You go into the mountain from the shack and there's a bunch of cave crawling that you're going to do. And like, you're going to do that a lot just through the game in general. And you're attacking bugs and mice along the way. And you can exploit some programming problems that the game has in order to progress, too. Hmm. So enemy encounters aren't random in this game. You can see them on your map before you enter a battle. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. However, if they're within a level or two of you, they're going to chase you down and attack. Oh, shit. They go picking a fight. Yeah. And if you're higher level, they run away. That's kind of cool. If you catch up to them, they can die without ever even having to go into a battle screen if you're like that much higher than them. They just shit themselves and die? Yeah. That's great. The exploit, though, is that if you see a bad guy, you can walk far enough away to make them like no longer on screen. And when you walk back, most often they've vanished and you can just walk by without fighting. Oh, they like unrender and then they're just gone. Yeah. That's crazy. But honestly, this game's hard as shit. And I recommend fighting as often as possible because you're going to need all that health and power level later. You need a grind. Oh, very much so. You fight a mini boss just before the giant step. And when you get out, it's a gigantic footprint in the ground. Oh, no. Kind of like a Bigfoot sighting, but maybe 10 times the size. Like a giant? Well, like Ness could have a picnic in the big toe size. Jesus, like a huge giant. Yeah. A melody plays and the power gets recorded onto your stone. When you get back to the shack, there's a cop waiting for you. God damn it. He doesn't care that the mayor gave you permission. He tells you to come down to the station for some questions because the giant step is off limits. You explain that you need to move on to the next town, Tucson. But 
the police are blocking the way to get to the next town due to some crimes. The next town's just straight up Tucson, comma, Eagleville? Yeah. Jesus. You don't tell the cop this, but you need to get to Tucson because there's a girl named Paula there that you keep being told about with special abilities. You figure this must be the girl from the prophecy as told by BuzzBuzz. So they decide to test if you're strong enough to make it to Tucson by giving you a five-on-one beatdown. The cops jump you. Yeah. So you can go to Arizona. (laughs) What the fuck? Well, you're the chosen kid, so you defeat the five fully qualified and well-trained police officers. People who have passed the academy. All six weeks of it. Oh my god. The captain agrees you're good to go on to Tucson and radios to the police at the barricade to let you through. Jesus, fuck. Yep, this child beat the shit out of my best team. You can let them enter Arizona. You make it to Tucson, and you're open to explore right away. In one part of town are two houses. Outside each house has a sign. The northernmost house says, Orange Kid. The southern says, Apple Kid. Two girls outside are talking about kids, Apple and Orange. They say that Orange is an absolute genius and has invented many things used around the world. Also, he's crazy rich and hot. Yowza. Apple Kid, on the other hand, is a poor, schlubby, ugly kid whose inventions are fucking useless. I like that the thing that the kids are doing is inventing things. Like, that's so whimsical for a child to be like, I'm an inventor. Yeah, there are a lot of inventor kids in this, actually, now that you mention it. (laughs) It's like the Shark Tank Junior edition for no reason. Right. You visit Orange Kid, and his home is clean and has machines running, and he asks you for some supplies before showing you his best and latest invention. And if you complete his fetch quest, he tells you he'll show it to you once it's complete. Apple Kid's house, on the other hand, is a pigsty. And he's every bit as slubby as described. He says that he just wants a quick bite to eat, and then he'll get back to work. If you give him some food, he says all he needs is some money, and then he can make his newest invention idea. If you give him some money, his pet mouse gives you a cell phone in exchange until he finishes the project he's working on. I love that the poor kid's pet is a mouse. Like, they try to make it look as sad and (laughs) dirty as possible. Yeah, and this is very early to be saying, like, here's a cell phone to a child, especially. Oh, definitely. You know, I also just as a beat, I really hate the stigma that, like, poor people aren't clean and are, like, schlubby and hoarders and dirty. Like, every family I know ever that's been, you know, around the P line and below, all they do on the weekends is fucking clean. Like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? We lived in five people to a one bed, one bath when I was growing up, right? No money. I didn't have a bed until I was five. I slept on the floors and shit. I'm still very comfortable sleeping on a floor, by the way. Um, (laughs) You know, shit like that. I didn't even get to sleep on the couch because that was a fucking privilege. We cleaned every fucking weekend, like up at 8 a.m. cleaning fucking fabulosa on uh, like every surface. Like it's just it's it's just such a horrible trope to be like poor people are dirty. No, poor people take pride in their shit. They clean their shit. They're like, I worked hard for this shit. We're going to keep it fucking clean. Fuck you. Anyway. Anyway, with this new cell phone, he's able to call you when he's done. And your dad's also going to call you from time to time just to make sure you haven't been playing too long. Your deadbeat ass dad being like, hey, kiddo. 
Well, it's the, that one mechanic that I think is still present in Nintendo games today where it like stops you just be like, hey, you've been playing for a long time. Do you think maybe you should take a break? <laughs> or in Red Dead when you've been gone from camp too long and Javi comes up and is like, hey, Dutch has been asking where you are. Are you good? And you're like, I'm just trying to get these fucking panther skins. Leave me alone. Well, as you travel through the city of Tucson, you encounter some bad guys that look like normal people, but their skin has turned blue. Well, that's just what happens in Tucson. Well, they are people who have been converted by the happy, happiest cult. Oh, no. And because they're in a cult, they're also crazy. Well, yeah. And it infects people of every social class and job. You find out that Paula has been kidnapped by the happy, happiest cult. And since she is the chosen girl to your chosen boy, you set out to save her. And you're led to a man named Everdread. He's a bowler hat wearing chubby hippie. You have to fight him, and once you beat him, he reveals he's not a member of the cult. He's just the guy in charge of the underground black market in town. Oh no, he's like, I love fighting, by the way. I am not affiliated with the Bloomin. No, he just knows things people like to keep secret. Ah, sneaky boy. And he says a chubby boy and a weird guy in a blue outfit were the ones to kidnap Paula in order to sacrifice her to someone. Is it Pokey? I hate Pokey. He says it's probably too late. But go for it. Good luck. Oh, no. You head to a hideaway village through a cave to find the hideout of the Happy Happiest cult. And yes, Happy Happiest sounds nice. But don't forget there's that word cult at the end. Right. And you can tell an official cult member by their clothing. They wear pointed hoods. Oh, my God. Robes that extend to the ground. No. And they're one solid color. Jesus Christ. But that color is blue. Not white? No, they're blue supremacists. What the fuck? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. And they looked very distinctly KKK in the Japanese release. And in the American release, they added a white puffball to the end of their points to make them look more whimsical and less KKK. Oh my God. They were like, add a little poof to it and it's less racist? Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, clearly. Unfortunately... Your way is blocked by a giant statue of a pencil, and it's just a big silver pencil. In the Japanese release, this was a statue of an octopus. Oh, wait, that sounds way cooler. It was because of a saying they came up with about the feeling a gamer has when they can't figure out what to do next. Hmm. It's like an octopus is blocking their brain. Huh. But Americans didn't have as friendly a relationship to octopi as Japanese people did. Japanese media loves tentacle shit, from what I understand. <laughs> yeah, way more so. So, yeah, it was changed to the pencil for reasons that we're going to talk about way later. Okay. After discovering this pencil blockade, your phone rings. It's Apple Kid, and his first invention is ready. It's a pencil eraser. <laughs> Good job, buddy. It's a machine that will eradicate any pencil-shaped object in existence in under a second. In the Japanese version, is it like an octopus catcher? It's an octopus eraser. That's fucking wild. He makes you promise not to use it around stores that sell pencils. <laughs> we have to protect commerce. And then he gives it to you. He says that since you funded his first invention, he'll let you know about anything else he cooks up. That's very helpful. You erase the pencil and head toward the blue-tinted hidden village of the Happy Happiest Cult. Also, through this entire game, the screen will freeze and your game will be interrupted 
by a triumphant musical cue. Oh. And a man in a top hat will float down from the sky in order to take your picture. And just before taking the picture, he'll tell you to say fuzzy pickles. Fuzzy pickles. And the whole screen closes like an aperture lens of a camera as it takes a screen grab. Oh, cute. And yeah, these pictures will play over the credits at the end of the game. Oh, that's sweet. But these full encounters with the photographer take a minimum of 23 seconds every time he comes falling in. You like know this to the beat. I love it. Yeah. And he takes about a thousand pictures through this fucking game. Really? Yeah. And there's no warning or way to stop him. He just stops your game to be like selfie time. Yeah. In the happy, happy village, everything is blue from the houses to the cows. Except for the people. They're kind of normal looking. So, you know, like you can still talk to them. It's only when their skin is blue that they'll attack. That's because they're the extremists in the religion. Mm. And extremists are very different from regular followers, but they always give regular followers a bad name. Look at every religion. (laughs) You can't take things too far, y'all. The people in Happy Happy Village live as a commune. They share in everything, and the only stipulation is they have to follow Happy Happyism. Which is just, you have to insist you're happy all the time, even if you're not. Yikes, it's giving we happy few. You do some hunting around and manage to find Paula being held behind bars deep in a cave within the village. Because remember, there's lots of cave crawling, so pretty much every town we're going to encounter has some form of a cave system. She says that she had dreamt that a boy named Ness would come to her rescue. And now here you are. Paula is a full-blown indigo child. Oh. Yeah, she is just little hippie girl. I love that. She tells you a person called the car painter has the key. Is it Exhibit? Is he pimping rides? <laughs> He's definitely not Exhibit. Oh. He can control lightning. So here, take this trinket and it will absorb the lightning. That way you can defeat him. And it's very convenient that she just happened to have that on her. She was like, I was ready. You go back to the village and Pokey is there. Dumb shit ass. Tell Pokey to go home. Pokey is useless and I hate him. Well, he runs up to you very mad and he asks, why did you come here? Are you here to ruin his fun? The car painter made him the number two around here because money. Right. And being the number two, he has people who answer to him now. I hate Pokey so much. And I'm also just imagining Doofus Drake. And then he has his little hooded homies attack you. Of course he's with the cake, the HHH. <laughs> Knowing coward-ass Pokey will run to the car painter, you chase him to the main building for the cult. And you enter, and there are hundreds of cult members. And you have to kind of work your way through this maze of them. Most of them leave you alone. Only a couple want to fight. Because most of them think you're there as a follower, because why wouldn't you be? You make it to the car painter's office, and he offers you a seat as his new number two, because Pokey obviously sucks. I appreciate that people are immediately like, this dude's fucking useless. You can accept or decline. It doesn't matter because your mere existence is a threat to happy happyism. Oh, shit. And he fights you instead. And thanks to your trinket from Paula, you make quick work of him. He points to a giant golden statue that looks like an Academy Award with devil horns. Oh, evil Oscar. That's kind of like positioned behind him. And he calls it a Mani Mani statue. He never did anything like start a cult until this thing came into his life. This ass beating snapped him out of whatever control it had over him. 
and he gives you the key to Paula and disbands the cult. He just gives up. Yeah, he was under control from the statue. The statue was the one that started all of this. I appreciate that a good concussion just, like, shakes shit up. Yeah. And it's so fast, the room below with the hundreds of cultists is completely empty of all but, like, three zealots. Oh, he, like, pulls the plug and he's like, we're done. And they're like, cool, I'm going home, goodbye. Yeah, I think it's implied that a lot of the town was also under its influence. Ooh, that's terrifying. But, you know, there's always going to be some who will never go up the bad fight. Yeah. And the whole town's grateful for what you've done. Even Pokey comes and apologizes. They're like, thank you for liberating us from this cult, child. And yeah, while Pokey's apologizing, he even says that he was taken over by the power of the statue. He wasn't. He was just a fucking follower. I hate Pokey. <laughs> yeah, he sulks off all sadly. And then he goes, ha, I lied. And then he runs off. Of course he did. He's a piece of shit. I'm going to kick Pokey's ass. And like the town no longer even has a blue tint over it. And you're getting free <gasps> wow. hotel rooms, discounts at shops, that kind of thing. Oh, sh everyone's very grateful for you. You get back to Paula and break her out. She wants to go back to Tucson to let her family know she's okay before going off on whatever adventure you need her for. And she says not to worry. She has some deadly magic at her disposal. Hell yeah, girl. And like she does, but she also has one of the worst abilities in all of RPGs. Just in general, okay. Yeah, and it's an ability that appears in so many RPGs. She has the ability, Prey. And it's about as useful as it is in real life. The best versions of this ability will take away like a status ailment, like a dispel. Okay, yeah. And the worst versions will heal the entire party for like 1% of their total health. Oh, useless. Yeah, Prey is a pretty useless ability unless you're out of options and just need to keep someone barely alive long enough to win a battle. Thoughts and prayers. Before heading back, your next power source is nearby, so you run over and absorb that power and record the melody in your magic stone. You make it back to Tucson, where Paula's family runs the local orphanage. Aww. Paula has a really close relationship with the kids here, and they all love her very much. Oh, she's a sweetheart. Yeah. Paula's parents know she has some kind of power that they just can't explain, so they begrudgingly say goodbye to her as she sets off on her quest with you to go save the world. I guess we don't need you at the orphanage. Go hang out with this strange child. Paula says she had a vision that the next person that will help join your team will be in the town of Threed. Threed. And the two of you set off to meet this person in Threed. Before heading out, Everdread wants to see you again. He has something to give you. He is grateful that you destroyed Happy Happyism. And he gives you $10,000 as a token of his gratitude. Holy shit! He also found out that another of those Mani Mani statues was discovered just outside of Wynette. So he's going to go there and make sure that that one doesn't get any other cults started. Yeah, we got to go protect your parents now while you're on this fucking road trip. Unfortunately, the way to Threed is blocked by ghosts. Oh, just straight up ghosts? Yeah, and you can't get there by foot, so you'll need a vehicle. You know, because of the ghosts. In Tucson, a group called the Runaway Five is performing at a music venue. When they're on stage, there's a six-person band that are basically the Blues Brothers. Okay. But off stage, there's five members. <laughs> it's like when a band is touring and they just have like one extra person for like second guitar or something, but they're not a part of the band. Yeah, like a house band member or something. Yeah. Never gets explained. No. They are performing a concert at the Chaos Theater, and they have a tour bus. 
Problem is, the Runaway Five are indebted to the club owner for a lot of money. $10,000 to be exact. It's crazy how that works out. Yeah, well, fortunately for everyone involved, you just made ten grand, and you pay off their debt, freeing them to use their bus, and you all head off to Threed together. It's crazy how, like, that's a tenth of what your dad owes your horrible neighbor, like, that could help get your mom and sister out. Right. Fuck it. You blow past all the ghosts and make it to Threed. And Threed is dark and gloomy with dead trees and spooky music. Is it like a horror kind of energy yeah kind of like a nightmare before christmas kind of thing going okay it's lavender town bitch let's go one of the band members says they're not staying here and they drop you off saying that they have a gig in the next town over called foreside they're like this shit is spooky i'm leaving <laughs> and if you roll through foreside come say hi it probably is not foreshadowing threed is a spooky ghost-filled town and it's always dark here i love that i'm sure that's a big part of toby fox's fandom too because his mods of the earthbound world were all halloween themed and like a little spookier on the autumnal side so i'm sure this was a big beat for him yeah and here you have to fight all sorts of ghosts and witches all sorts of ghouls i love ghouls you eventually see a man hiding in a bush staring at a woman across the street this is never good walk away beat his ass walk away nothing good can come of this he says that he sees tons of men go inside the hotel with her <gasps> and how he hopes to be one of those men someday oh my god buy a magazine you fucking creep when you see the woman she's in lingerie and you can even see her pixel cleavage and all that oh my god as she's very clearly a sex worker. I mean, good for her. Leave her alone. Let her do her thing. I'm not going to stand in the way of her. And she invites these two 13-year-olds to follow her to her room. I don't like where this is going. And of course you do. And of course, you are ambushed by a half dozen ghouls and ghosts, and you and Paula are instantly knocked unconscious. She has weird clientele. The two of you wake up alone in a circular room with just a locked door. The screen goes black around your characters. And Paula looks directly at the screen. She says she's calling out to the friend they came here to meet. The friend they haven't met yet. Someone named Jeff. We need your help, Jeff. I'm here with Ness. And we need you to come rescue us. The scene fades. And we're taken to a place called Winters. A small country up north. Everything from the trees to the ground is snow covered. Oh, so this is just a nice snow level. Beautiful. Yeah, we get an immediate sense of cold and an appropriate climate for a place called Winters. We are in a school called the Snowwood Boarding House. In one of the rooms, we recognize a sleeping child from the startup screen as being one of the characters that you named. He's asleep. Yeah, he's the blonde one with the suit and glasses, and his real name is Jeff. Fancy Jeff. And yeah, that suit that you were asking about before is his boarding school uniform. Oh, he's not like boss baby. He's just a private school asshole. He is a private school kid. I wouldn't call him an asshole. He's a, he is another rich kid, but he is nothing like Pokey. Okay, good, because I hate Pokey. I'm going to kill Pokey. Jeff is asleep and starts to hear Paula's words enter his dream, which wakes him from his sleep. She tells him to go south to Threed and come save Ness and herself. Jeff starts to head out, but his roommate, Tony, wakes up and insists he's coming along as well. Mr. Me Too and shit. 
Well, it's after hours, and Tony knows the best ways to sneak around the school at night. In sneaking around, we also find out that Jeff's dad is a famous scientist named Dr. Andonuts. Why did my brain go, Dr. Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) He had a whole last last name, and I was like, ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's known for being smarter than anyone in history. Wow. And also for being a nutcase. There it is. Is he in love with a pigeon? No, not that bad. Oh. You make your way outside, and Tony has you step on his back to boost you over the school wall. He says to never forget, you're his best friend. Oh. And he heads back inside. I love him. Well, Itoy has confirmed. Tony is gay and has a huge crush on Jeff. Making Tony one of the very first gay characters in a video game, and at the very least, the first gay teen. Oh, I love that. Paving the way for Max and Chloe, bitch. Let's go. And Itoy's reasoning for it was very simple. Growing up, he knew which kids were gay, even if nobody really understood what gay was. He had a killer gaydar. Well, everyone did, because gay kids exist everywhere. Yeah. So why wouldn't there be at least one at this school, too? Once outside the school, you meet a woman who bought a monkey. <laughs> and the monkey... I'm not done. What the fuck did you just say to me? It's going to get weirder. Don't worry. No, it won't. What? Because this monkey is addicted to bubble gum. Okay. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Do you know that Jim Jones from the Jim Jones cult and... You know, Jonestown used to sell monkeys door-to-door in Indiana. I didn't know that, no. He door-to-door? Did... Yeah. <laughs> door-to-door monkey salesman? He didn't have, like, a storefront. And he started a cult. Yes, he did. And so, I mean, you're bringing up cults, you're bringing up selling monkeys. How am I not going to bring this back to Jonestown? <laughs> he once had a woman who was a repeat customer because her monkeys kept unaliving themselves. Oh, my God. Yeah, they would, like, hang themselves. They'd the just, fuck? They'd harm themselves just to, I guess, she wasn't a good monkey companion. So he sold her a couple monkeys, and they all met a similar fate. At what point is it her fault? Oh, immediately. Okay. <laughs> immediately. But then it also turned into, like, him causing over 900 people to lose their lives in Jonestown. Anyway, let's get back to the kids game. Well, yeah, she just doesn't want the monkey anymore. She's not going to unalive it. Well, no, the Jim Jones monkey lady didn't unalive her monkeys. The monkeys unalived themselves. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's exactly what happened. That's what she's (laughs) telling everybody. Okay, Okay, that's fair. That's fair. History is written by the winners. I apologize. Yeah. And this woman asks you, will you just take this monkey from me? Will you please take my monkey? And, well, you're already operating on a dream, so you just go with it and take the gum-chewing monkey with you. You're like, yes, ma'am, I will take this monkey. And the monkey helps you with some fighting, because you are back at level one. Oh, so each of your individual characters that you rotate out and play as have their own specific, like, level sets and skill sets and stuff like that? Yeah, they each have their own powers. Like, Paula and Ness both have the psi powers. Mm. Jeff does not. Oh, Jeff has the power of science. Yeah, he's much more science. He can fix anything. He uses tools. Got it. Very cool. But the game still treats you like you're the same level as Ness was, who should be like level 10 plus by now. Yeah, he's been grinding. Yeah, and you come across some Boy Scout troops eventually. They're on the edge of a lake, and they're looking for the legendary Tessie. Tessie! Because there's already a Nessie in this world, so we don't want to get confused. Here's the thing, 
like Nessie in our world, nobody has ever seen it. Um, actually. I know. <laughs> well, you go to the water's edge, and your monkey begs for some gum. And you give it to him, and he blows a bubble so big, it lifts him into the air. That's so whimsical. I love it. This is much better than the Jim Jones monkeys I just mentioned. Well, I don't know if you know this, but monkeys don't exhale carbon dioxide like people do. They exhale helium. Is that a real thing? No, not at all. He floats (laughs) over the water. Fuck you. I got so excited. (laughs) He floats over the water and a giant purple long-necked creature comes bubbling up out of the water. Hell yeah. And the monkey lands on Tessie's head. And he kind of ratatouilles the mythical creature to the shore. Oh, shit. Like pulling at its ears and shit to turn. Yeah, where you also mount Tessie and she takes you across the lake to the other side. Ah, Tessie. On your way to Threed, you do some cave crawling and one of them is really weird. It's kind of a shit maze that you just go through. When you say shit maze, there's also a character named Pooh. Is it like humps of fertilizer or is just a bad maze? It's just a bad maze. Okay, I got scared. Horribly designed maze. It's just going back and forth the whole time. And like, it has a bunch of bad guys that are just disguised as treasures throughout it. That's the only thing. Disguised as treasures! And when you exit, there's a man at the end named Mr. Brick Road. And he says, he designed that last dungeon and he wants your opinion on it. You get to fill out a survey? Yeah, well, he says he is obsessed with dungeon designs, and he hopes to become a dungeon himself one day. Oh, no. Yeah, he wants to be a living dungeon. I have heard of uh, horrible creators who want to become their creation, and it does not end well. Please visit my friend, Bertram Piedmont. Well, he says he hopes to meet you again someday when he is Dungeon Man. Dungeon Man. And after a little more spelunking through the cave system... You come out to find yourself at Stonehenge. Just straight up Stonehenge? It's a Stonehenge, but yeah, it's Stonehenge. So he is like, I like that they're like, he's from Winters, he's from the North, but then you're just like in Scotland and England. Yeah, like I said, that's why a toy is like, Eagle Land's not America, because look at all the other things I'm also throwing in here. It's just that he didn't design it to look like our planet. Right, okay. But there is just a straight up Tucson. (laughs) Yeah, it's not spelled the same way as Tucson, Arizona. Oh, my brain fully just assumed it was just Tucson. <laughs> no, it's T-W-O-S-O-N. Okay, got it. And Wynette was O-N-E-T-T. Oh, I get you. And then there's Threed and Foreside. Right. Yeah, very clever. Anyways, at Stonehenge, there's a girl monkey there when you arrive, and your monkey goes to make some monkey babies with her. Oh my god, just immediately. immediately. Buy me a drink first. Just south of Stonehenge, you find a building with the word lab on it. You go inside and there's an old man and there's all sorts of like machines and science shit everywhere. And he asks if you were sent by that dungeon maker, Mr. Brick Road. And you're like, Dick, I'm your son. (gasps) Dad. And he goes, oh my goodness, it's been 10 years since I last saw you. Don't send your kids to fucking sleepaway schools and boarding schools and shit. This is weird. We just walked here on our own, and it took under an hour. (laughs) He was down the street the whole time. And his dad hasn't seen him in 10 years. Everyone has a shitty dad in this. Like, there have been no good father figures to this point. Oh, he's a terrible dad, because then he offers you a donut that he doesn't have. (laughs) So he's just fucking crazy. Actually, you know what? Paula's dad runs the orphanage with her mom, I assume, right? Like, you said her parents 
from the orphanage heteronormative says it's probably gonna be a mom and dad yeah so paula has a good dad all the sons and, and male assuming figures in this game have terrible father figures so far yeah accurate What's the point of this? Because it's called Mother. Right. Okay. I talked myself into the circle. We got there. And then he asks you, did you get to see Stonehenge? And you're like, yeah, I did. He's like, cool. That's good. That was my only idea for a bonding trip. So why are you here? Oh, my God. And you explain your dream and that you're trying to rescue Ness and Paula. Dr. Andonuts says, Paula must have heard about his phase disorder. It allows you to connect two points in space and time. Oh, shit. It's a teleporter. But that shit doesn't work. So he offers his working spaceship called a Skyrunner instead. He just gives you a spaceship? Yeah, it's just a, it's basically a big ball, but it looks like a UFO. Like, it doesn't make up for not being there as a parent, but it's kind of cool. Well, Dr. Andonuts, excited to be rid of his son for another 10 years. Oh, my God. Sends you off in his Skyrunner to Threed. Call me when you need money. Or even not then. <laughs> I won't answer. And you fly over the whole planet, seeing places that we haven't been to yet. You arrive in Threed, and a sonar noise starts to sound off, trying to locate where Ness and Paula are. And the beeps get closer and closer together as you hover over a graveyard. Oh no. And instead of landing, you crash straight down into the ground, <gasps> into a cavern below. Oh my, like through the graveyard. Yeah. And... Ness and Paula are very lucky they weren't standing right there because you just crashed into their cell. <laughs> and it destroys the Skyrunner in the process. Oh no. Well, he got there. Yeah. Jeff introduces himself saying he has no idea why you wanted him to come rescue you. He's not strong, has terrible eyesight, is shy, and kind of reckless. Myopic child from Goose Game. His only skill is that he can fix just about anything. Engineers, they get the job done. There you go. If you still want a friend like that, then he's happy to come along. He doesn't really sell himself. He's like, I get that you guys are courageous, but I bring the wisdom and that's part of it, okay? But I'm not good at other stuff. Well, you're a very accepting group and you, of course, ask him to join you. You guys can at least bond over how terrible your dads are and Paula can be like, oh no, I love my parents. I mean, it is important to understand your weaknesses. That's true. He's like, I'll be up front. I am not a brawler. What's up? Yeah. And Threed, like I said, is spooky and there's a weird circus in town. There's animal cages around town and the circus has clearly overextended the town's hospitality. Oh no, everyone's over the circus. And you go to one of the several circus tents to investigate and the folds in the tent turn into a face. <gasps> Creepy. And we are attacked by the sentient circus tent. Shut up. Like it's Bertram Piedmont. I brought up Bertram Piedmont too early? Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? There was a more iconic Bertram Piedmont moment? All right, so if you guys don't know what, who I'm referencing and just going, why are you talking about this crazy name? Bertram Piedmont is a villain in Bendy and the Ink Machine who loved his amusement park ride so much he turned himself into an amusement park ride and then tries to kill you. Yeah. That keeps happening in video games. People do keep trying to turn into their creations of amusement and then try to kill you. It's insane. Why is this a thing? I don't know. Five Nights at Freddy's did it. Yeah, it just keeps happening. FNAF. Oh, you're right. FNAF is just corely about that. Yeah, no, there's a couple in. What is the one we just did? Cuphead? Cuphead, Jesus. yeah. Ugh. Anyway, the tent dies. <laughs> 
And we find out it was being operated by two zombies, and they run away when you discover them. Just straight up zombies? Yeah, pay no mind to the zombie behind the curtain. Oh my god. You deduce that these zombies are the reason this town has fallen into this horror show. It's probably the zombie's fault. Yeah, man. And fortunately for you, your cell rings, and it's Apple Kid. That'd be your dad being like, hey, buddy. No, it's never your dad. No. He just so happened to invent a thing called zombie paper. Zombie paper. It's like flypaper, but for zombies. So you can trap them? Yeah. So if you ever find yourself with an infestation of zombies, you can lure them to a big area like inside a circus tent, for example. <laughs> And trap them to the paper. Apple Kid is on his shit. Fuck Orange Kid. I am team Apple Kid forever. Apple Kid's so on his shit, he ordered you a pizza and is sending the zombie paper with the pizza guy. Oh, I love that. He's Apple thoughtful? Kid's the shit, yeah. Fuck yeah, Apple Kid. The leaders of the town are excited for the zombie paper idea because they want this nightmare to end already. You set the trap in the circus tent and head to the hotel to sleep. Overnight. All the zombies in town felt drawn to the tent, and they all went inside to find themselves trapped by the zombie paper. And now it's like when you have an old fucking roach motel, ant motel thing, and you look in and there's just a bunch of like half moving shit in there. Ew, that's so gross. Yeah, they're all lying on the ground and stuff, and they are twitching. It's great. Oh no, I hate it. You wake up, and the outside is still dark and gloomy. And the whole town is gathered around the mouth of the circus tent. Because they're like, all the zombies went in there. Oh shit. Well, these zombies do not appear to be made the old-fashioned way. By dying and being resurrected? Yeah, these zombies were manufactured. Oh, oh, that's weird. So you need to find wherever these zombies are coming from and shut down this factory. The zombie factory? You have to head through an area called Saturn Valley in order to get to the factory making the zombies. And it is being run by the evil Belch. Belch! Oh, Belch is such a good, like, bully name. Like, it's such a good antagonist. Yeah, Belch is a blob creature that they used in the This Game Stinks ad. Oh. You head to this Saturn Valley place, and it's fucking weird. This area is inhabited by little creatures called Mr. Saturns. Little Mr. Saturns? They're heads with little stubby legs. I describe them as being the top knuckle and up of the pad of your thumb. Ew. If you drew two dots for eyes and like a big Doug funny nose. Oh no. With no mouth, but like little whiskers off to the side. I hate it. That's, it's gross and I hate it. And then there's a little hair off the top with a bow on it. I hate it so much. It toy was a big fan of author Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, I get that. And the Mr. Saturns are all based on an alien race that often appears in his novels called the Tralfmadorians. Ah. But they don't look anything alike. Okay. Because, you know, he spent all the ripoff time on the music. He's like, we'll just kind of pivot from here. Yeah, you've probably seen Mr. Saturns in plenty of memes over the years. Okay, gotcha. Very iconic Earthbound character. Hate it. Sounds gross. And the font they use for their speech is like wingdings on crack. <laughs> Just a bunch of illegible shapes. I mean, you can, you can read it, but it looks crazy. And the reason being is that the Japanese version of this font was the handwriting of Itoi's daughter. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, and then when it got ported, they had a designer just kind of come up with a childlike font to use. I like that she got involved, though. I love that. Like, in South Park, one of the creator's daughters is one of the new characters and stuff. I'm like, good. Get yeah. them their royalties. Like, let them start banking on the money. Let's go. 
And the speech pattern for the Mr. Saturns is very similar to Yoda. Oh, so just very broken sentence structure. Yeah, all over the place. You need to go to Belch's factory to shut down zombie production, but you don't know where the factory entrance is. A Mr. Saturn tells you that the entrance is behind a waterfall, and the doorway has a secret code to get in. And the secret code is, you have to stand in front of the door for three minutes without moving. That's the secret code? Yeah. Is standing? You have to literally do this. You need to just let go of the controller. And just watch? And just watch a waterfall for three minutes. That's a long time to not have anything to do in a video game. It really is. Like, you sit through that three minutes and you start thinking, did I fuck up? Like, should I move? Did I, did I not do something? But you finally hear a click. Oh, that's so crazy. After three minutes. Like, when you die in Overwatch, you get a 10 second to respawn and you get your kill cam. So, like, they're hyper fucking keeping you engaged. This is literally just stand behind set piece and we'll eventually let you in. Yeah, you just gotta hope dad doesn't call during all this. Hope that no one wants to stop by and take a selfie. Yeah. Can that happen? Can that come in and, like, fuck up your timer? The photograph guy comes just before you go to the door. Okay, so he resets his timer right before. He's not on a timer. He is based on where you stand. Oh, it's location-based. Got it. It is location-based, and it's just that you're going to be hitting a lot of spots. Gotcha. So you get inside the factory, and you work your way through it, killing blobs and seeing enslaved Mr. Saturns being used to make more creatures of the night. Oh, no. And you eventually encounter Belch himself. And he has heard the prophecy of the Chosen Boy. He doesn't know who Gygus is, but he must be a bitch if a kid like you can take him down. So he fights you. And after you fight, turns out he's been working for Gygus. Just he doesn't really like him. <laughs> he's just an asshole. He tells you that Gygus managed to get that Mani Mani statue from outside of Wynette that Everdread was going after. And Gygus has moved it to Foreside, where he plans to take over that town. Mm, everything comes together in Foreside. You free the Mr. Saturns, shut down the factory, and head back to Saturn Valley. There, you meet a Mr. Saturn who asks you if you want to grab a cup of coffee with him. You agree, and the screen goes kind of psychedelic, and words appear, recapping the story so far. Oh no. It talks about Pokey, the worst person in the neighborhood. Hell yeah, Pokey sucks. And how it all started the night he pounded on your door. Through this whole journey, you somehow have never become demoralized or given up. You've only grown stronger and more courageous. Now you have friends, the kind and pretty Paula, the timid but faithful Jeff, and you have an awesome destiny to fulfill. It says that though you have fought hard, the battles to come will be much harder. Don't lose your courage or your sense of humor because dark times are coming and you're going to need to keep your head up through it all. Try and enjoy yourself. That's a very sweet coffee break. It is. I love this coffee break so much. And it finishes saying that you must pass through a great desert before heading to Forside. Good luck. Another Mr. Saturn mentions a power source nearby. So before heading back to Threed, you swing by and collect that power and melody for your stone. And I make it sound like these are just like quick little jaunts. They're not at all. <laughs> you're, just, oh, you're just skimming through them. Yeah, because they're massive dungeons that you have to get through with a ton of enemies. Oh, shit. And there's a final mini boss at each one of them. Goddamn. So it's a grind. It is a grind, but it's also just walking and fighting. So I want to kind of skip over that. 
The important part is that you're collecting that melody. You get back to Threed, and the sun is out, and the undead are no more. This opens public transit back up, and you grab a bus headed to Foreside. You go through some tunnels and ultimately get stuck in traffic in the middle of the desert. And anyone who has driven between Vegas and California knows what <laughs> that bullshit can be like. It sucks. The bus driver doesn't want to deal with that traffic and dumps you off to figure it out yourself. <laughs> Just really looked ahead and was like, nah. So you wander the desert and try to avoid heat stroke by visiting the occasional shop or shack along the way. As you explore, you find an excavation site where a gold miner promises you gold if you give him some food to keep him going. But your mission is foreside, and you finally make it there by foot. And it's a bustling, huge city. So huge, it's made its way to the Smash Brothers as like a battle map. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. You know the Runaway Five are playing a show in town, so you check out the venue. You find out that they, once again, owe a shit gang of money to the venue owner. They're bad at shit. This time, a whole ass million dollars. Oh my god. They need a better business manager. They're fucked. Well, fortunately, you know a gold digger. And you go to see if he can be of assistance. Now, I'm not saying he's a gold digger. <laughs> when you get back, the miner had been very busy, and there's now a full gold mining operation as he found a series of tunnels just after lunch. Oh, shit. You go down and discover that there is a treasure there, but it's being guarded by five gigantic moles. And they're kind of spread throughout the cave system. Now moles is in like the critter? The critter, yeah. Okay, not like agents? No. If you clear them out, he's going to dig out the treasure for you. And you approach the first, and he says that even though he's the third strongest of the moles, he will defeat you. And the next one says, as the third strongest of the moles... He will be the one to kill you. These moles have like a self-esteem issue. Well, all of the moles say that they are the third strongest of the moles. <laughs> These fucking moles. And you defeat them and the miner tells you that once he finds a treasure, it's all yours. As you head back to Foresight on foot from the desert, the miner's brother drives up behind you in his tractor. He says his brother still hasn't found the treasure, but he did find this gigantic diamond oh, and shit. thought maybe you'd want it. Yeah, that's a pretty good fucking treasure. You take it to the club owner, and she looks at it, and her eyes sparkle brighter than the diamond itself. Aww. She says it's worth maybe 50 bucks, but if you give it to her, she'll forgive the million dollars the band owes. That is a scam, but I'm here for it. And they do one final performance and say, this one goes out to the group of kids by the door, and I hope we perform so well, they piss their pants. <laughs> Do you actually get to see the concert? Yeah, you get to watch the concert. That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. Can you dance? No, you can't dance as them, as like Ness and the group. Oh, so you just look like you're not enjoying it. It's It only shows the stage. We don't even get to see ourselves. Okay. You can't do a nice pop punk pogo? No pop punk pogo. After the concert, you head to the mall. Inside, you meet a mouse who says he's got a weird feeling the power might go off in a little while. <laughs> oh, it's probably not foreshadowing. <laughs> The mall is a really tall building with, like, different shops on each floor. And the camera movement and usage here is unlike anything I've ever seen. The escalator to the next floor goes off the screen into the black portions. And it connects to the next screen almost like a comic book panel. Oh, that's cool. Without it ever having to, like, break up into separate loaded screens. Very nice. And this mall is, like, five or six stories tall. 
You go to the top, shopping along the way, and all the way back down, and nothing happens. You're back in the lobby, and just before you exit, the lights finally turn off. <laughs> so it's just time to be like, whenever you're done with the mall, we'll cut the lights. That's funny. And an alien that looks like an octopus creature runs by and kidnaps Paula. An alien kidnaps Paula. And then an announcement comes over the PA asking for a customer that goes by the name of Ness to report to the office on the fourth floor. I love whatever's happening. I also feel so bad that Paula keeps getting fucking kidnapped. I know. Like, you find her by getting her unkidnapped, right? And then she gets kidnapped by those sex workers and the ghosts, and now we're here? Like, this poor girl, we need to put some fucking lojack on her. Gotta put a bell on her. Yeah, something. As you ascend, more announcements are asking you why you're taking so long, don't you care about Paula? And you get to the office, and it's the alien that took her. And it's like this octopus creature with snail eyes. Ah! You defeat it, and he says Master Gygus will avenge him. And that Paula already monotoli, and then he dies. Oh no, I thought you were just having a brain fart. Oh no. Well, going around town, you notice a lot of things are called monotoli, as he is a rich and powerful person in town. You wander around and eventually find Everdread beaten in an alley. Oh, shit. He says, after failing to get the statue in Wynette, he went back to the one in Happy Happy Village. He came to Foreside to sell it, but Monotoli just had his men beat him instead of paying him and took the statue. He just got jumped. Oh, my God. They didn't realize, though, that like this statue had no more power left to it. Very fortunately. But he says that he recognized the same kind of power about Monotoli that he saw in the car painter. Meaning that Monotoli has a Mani Mani statue of his own that's making him powerful. Oh, shit. He tells you to look for a switch in a cafe and then leaves, saying, do not follow me. I am bad luck. I need you to go do this. I'm going to go home and cry in the bathtub with some wine. So you go into this cafe and you flip the switch and the screen goes black and then comes back. And you're in an alternate world. What the fuck? It's like that level in Psychonauts with the bull and the Mexican wrestler. It's all black with a neon outline. And everyone speaks opposite of reality. What? So yes means no, that kind of thing. It's just opposite day? Yeah, if you meet an angry person, it means they're actually very happy. Oh my god, how confusing. And it's not just the cafe. It's the whole fucking town of Forside. Jesus. This is the work of the Mani Mani statue that Gygus had brought to Foreside. It's being kept in this alternate reality called Moonside. The statue is at Monotoli Tower, and the only way in is to help a sailor find a man he can go out and have a drink with. Oh, you have to set someone up. You do. And once you set these two up, you destroy the statue and Moonside disappears around you. It was like the reality stone from Marvel. It just created a false sense of reality around you. That's crazy. You were in the cellar of the cafe the entire time. Oh, shit. Just like kind of hallucinating. Yeah. And when you emerge from the cellar, Apple Kid calls with another invention. A gourmet frozen yogurt machine. That'd be funny if it was just like, this tells you if you're having a hallucination or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the fucking spinning top from Inception. Well, it can make any flavor at all. Except every flavor happens to taste like trout, 
Oh, that's a bad invention, buddy. It is. So he has it sent over to you via courier. And outside, you see a monkey run into a wall. Oh, no. It says it knows how to teleport. It just needs more space. And then it runs off screen, making a weird noise as it does. The courier arrives and says he got distracted in the desert by some monkeys in a hole, and he accidentally left your yogurt machine there. You don't really need that thing. It's fine. Well, if you want it, you need to go get it yourself. Do you have to go get it? Well, as he leaves, a woman approaches, saying she heard you have trout-flavored yogurt. She's a maid in Mr. Monotoli's penthouse, and he's demanding she bring him some trout-flavored yogurt for a guest of his. Rich people are the fucking worst. Damn, we have to go to the goddamn desert. Yeah, so you have to go back to the desert to find your yogurt machine. This is insane. You get to the monkey cave and you solve a long fucking series of puzzles. And eventually, deep in the cave, you meet a shaman. He's floating like Zenyatta in Overwatch. Okay. He's just hovering. Yeah, he just hovers there and he says he saw you coming. And that the four of you, Ness, Paula, Jeff, and Pooh, will combine your power to bring peace to the world. They don't even know Pooh yet. They haven't even met Pooh yet. And he gives you your yogurt machine in order to do so. Also, that monkey over there, he's going to teach you how to teleport. Bye. Oh. Very casually. And in order to teleport, you need a long stretch of open space. Like a highway. Because you need to get up to speed somewhere around, I don't know, 88 miles per hour or something. Shut up. So, go outside and run down the highway until you teleport. Oh my god! Don't do this, kids! (laughs) Bad advice. Well, you can get around the world a lot easier now, as you can teleport to pretty much anywhere you've already been. You get back to Monotoli Tower, and the maid meets you outside. She says that there's a special guest of Mr. Monotoli on the 47th floor demanding it. She tells you to come up to the 48th floor where she works and say hi to her as she's going to need a break from this pain in the ass guest. <laughs> the elevator only goes to the 47th floor, though. And the special guest of Mr. Monotoli... Wait, can I guess? Go right ahead. Is it Pokey? It's that fuckface Pokey. Goddamn doofus Drake-ass Pokey. He was the lunatic ordering trout-flavored yogurt. I hate him so much. I haven't had this much contempt for a child in a long time since I probably was a child, but I really hate this child. Pokey is the reason you have a rival in Pokemon. Ugh, stinky. You're not here for him, though, and you take a different elevator up to the 48th floor. You hunt around the 48th floor, killing robot guards along the way. And the Runaway Five even come to help you while you're doing it. Hell yeah. For some reason. They're helpful. You finally make it to Mr. Monotoli's office. And Paula and he are just kind of hanging out. She says that Mr. Monotoli isn't a bad person. Just hear him out. And she rejoins your party. And Mr. Monotoli says that he was possessed by the Mani Mani statue. Oh no. And that's why he hid it in the Moonside illusion world, so it couldn't affect others. Oh. He would go to the statue and talk to it, and he was told by the statue to stop Ness by any means necessary. Oh no, the statue has an agenda. Don't let Ness make it to Summers, and don't let him know anything about the pyramid. And something named Gygus doesn't want you doing those things, so whatever he doesn't want you to do, you should probably do that thing. Gygus has corners all over the fucking world. And Mr. Monotoli feels so bad, he lends you his personal helicopter to take you directly to Summers. Oh, I mean, that's kind of nice as like a sorry for kidnapping your friend gift. 
Yeah, all of these leaders that are controlled by these Mani Mani statues immediately want to, like, reverse all the damage they did just right away. As soon as they're called out, they're like, oh no, I was being an asshole. You go to the helipad, and it takes off just as you arrive, because fuckface Pokey has already stolen it. Hmm. Paula has a vision that tells her that in order to get to Summers, you have to return to Threed. Fortunately for you, the Runaway Five need to head that way anyway, and they offer you a ride on their bus. Nice. Before boarding the bus, Apple Kid calls again, and he says he is the genius of all geniuses. Hell yeah. He has figured out who the big bad is. Do you think that Jeff is a little intimidated by Apple Kid? Because like his dad's a, a major scientist, and there's like this shitty like poor kid that lives under Orange Kid's house that's just like creating really cool shit that's been very helpful the whole time. You know, Jeff never really does address that. I think Jeff has a little bit of tension there. I'm not saying it's not going to be addressed. Jeff is not going to address it. Okay. All he needs to do to defeat this big bad is create something called a phase distorter. Phase distorter. Now we've heard that once before. And Apple Kid says he heard about a famous scientist named Dr. Andonuts who was already working on one. Ah. See, there's some tension there. So he sets off to go find Dr. Andonuts so he can help out with it. He says, don't expect any calls from me for a while. I'm going to be busy. I'm on the hunt. You get to the bus and head back to Threed with the Runaway Five. And you return to where Jeff crashed his spaceship. Some locals who were really grateful you got rid of the zombies have put it back together. But they just can't get it flying. And Jeff pulls up, well, here's your problem right there. And fixes it and says, you need to head back to his dad's lab to get it fully fixed, but it should at least get you there. Oh, and we might meet up with Apple Kid if we're all heading back to Jeff's dad's. You fly back to the lab and tell Dr. Andonuts you need the ship to be able to fly to Summers. He agrees to fix it while you go off and get another power source for your magic stone. When you return, the ship is ready and you take off for Summers. You don't get to see Apple Kid? Apple Kid hasn't made it. Oh, You crash onto the beach because Jeff simply doesn't know how to land. (laughs) And this time the ship is completely destroyed. Summers is a beach resort town. People in swimwear, surfer dudes around. Also, the extraordinarily wealthy in their high-rise condos. You explore around, and eventually, your phone rings. It's Jeff's roommate, Tony. The one with the crush on Jeff. Yeah. And he's doing a survey and wants to know your name. Not Ness's name. Not Jeff's name. Your name. The player's name. The one holding the controller. Oh, shit. And you go to enter your name, and unlike the character creation screen, you have more than five spaces, and you can enter your full name first and last if you want. Wow. And he thanks you for it and makes you promise not to put his friend Jeff into any dangerous situations. He's so protective of Jeff. And he hangs up after saying he's going to hang up like nine times. No, you hang up. Yeah, he just doesn't want to get off the phone with Jeff. Aww. And one of the businesses in town is a nightclub called the Stoic Club. You need a reservation and someone gives you the secret speakeasy code to get one. And it's called the Stoic Club because it's full of rich, crystal-gripping hippies who think they're smarter than they are. (laughs) In fact, let's play a game. Oh, okay. One of these quotes is from a patron of the Stoic Club. The other, 
cult leader, David Miscavige. Oh, okay. Am I playing right now? Oh, you're going to play right now. You're going to hear two quotes, and you're going to tell me which one is from the game and which one is from David Miscavige. As demonstrated earlier in this very episode, I fucking love cults, so let's fucking do this. Yes, David Miscavige, for those who don't know, is the leader of Scientology. So, heads or tails? Ooh, tails. Tails. Excellent. Through our teachings, I've finally awakened the inner me. I'm able to stare into my soul hard enough so as to burn a hole in my very psyche, making me comfortable enough to stare at the real me and burn that impression into my superego. I want to be in this comfort zone at any time, all the time, or at no time. That's quote one. Okay. Quote two. This is a world where the operative phrase is exceeding all expectations, transcending all parameters, Godspeed and a quantum leap in sheer rapidity of progress. Don't miss the signpost up ahead that reads, Next stop, infinity. You're good? Those are them. Okay, I have my reasons. <laughs> now, if you're playing along at home, lock your questions in because I'm going to try and poke some holes. So with quote number one, they mentioned the superego and the id, which is a direct thing of psychology, right? Mm -hmm. That's Freud. Yeah, it's a Freud thing uh, who once famously said that the Irish can't be psychoanalyzed. Right. Now, Scientology actually does a lot to battle the ideas of psychology, therapy, and mental health. There's an entire facility in Los Angeles where they like try to take down psychology as a whole. So that's why I think that one is not related to Scientology and David Miscavige. I think David Miscavige is the second quote with the roller coaster highway to science or some shit because it's also based on the teachings of L. Ron Hubbard who was a science fiction writer. So I'm thinking the first quote you said is from the game and the second quote is from Scientology. Well, you are absolutely right. The Hell second yeah! one is from David Miscavige <laughs> at his opening remarks for a major Scientology event. Oh my god, wait, I'm so happy I got that right because I put so much effort into like the analysis of it and if it was wrong I would have really kicked myself but ha! <laughs> no, that was really good. I did paraphrase both a bit just to try to like make it a little bit harder but that's 98% what each one has said. Oh, I wish you gave me a harder one. Damn! <laughs> Do you love that I had reasoning for was... this too? It wasn't even just like gut reactions. I was like, no, 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 let me explain this to you, mister. <laughs> no, it was absolutely perfect. I loved it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. That was very fun. If you're playing along at home, I hope you got it right. Well, one of the patrons says that super ego woman makes some really good magic cake. Oh! And that you should totally bring him a piece. I've had some magic chocolates before. And you approach her and she's like, dude, chill, keep it down. Meet me outside on the beach, not in the smart people club. <laughs> I don't sell drugs on camera. Let's go down to nature. And you meet her outside and she says that this cake is extra potent because it's like all trim. <laughs> it's all trim. <laughs> she insists you have some for yourself. And you immediately take a nice little edible nap. Yay. Now, to our younger audience, we are very open about our cannabis use on this show. We both work in the legal cannabis industry here in Las Vegas. I also love doing mushrooms. And the laws state you have to be over 21 for recreational use, unless you have a medical card. And edibles can be fun, but just know your tolerance. Start low and slow. Make sure you're in a safe place. And uh, there's no such thing as an overdose. The worst you can do is nap. Because Ness and his friends sure as fuck didn't know. <laughs> they also take it from a stranger. And they never even got to enjoy the high and just fell asleep. Oh. 
while sleeping, you are transported in your mind to a far off place called Dalam. Which is crazy because like cannabis can typically suppress the part of your brain that gives you vivid dreams. Like heavy longtime stoners don't get crazy dreams because there's always THC in their system. So um actually this is definitely mushrooms. Well, this isn't a dream because it's not Ness or Paula or Jeff. We the player are actually going here. Oh, I keep trying to logic this and I need to stop. <laughs> and Dalam is in the Far East. It's an Asian-inspired land. It's kind of a mixture of Indian and Japanese cultures. Okay. And we're taken to a palace and introduced to Pooh, the crown prince of Dalam. <gasps> Pooh. And you are now Pooh, and an old man tells you that it is time to complete your trials and to go south to complete your training. You wander through the kingdom a bit, and it's built into, like, the side of a mountain high up in the clouds. Oh, that's sick. It's a lot of, like, very preserved old architecture. Like I said, it looks like Indian and Japanese kind of combined. Okay, so almost like Nepalese, a little more Japanese in there. Very cool. Yeah, you see kind of this Japanese sloping roofs, but then you see elephants. Wow, very cool. And you climb up a peak to a meditation spot. And this is going to be very familiar to anyone who's played my final game of this season. And as you settle down to meditate, someone calls to you, saying that you were to stop meditating immediately. The king needs you. Pooh, you're needed. <laughs> Pooh, please come over. <laughs> and they're like, I swear I'm telling you the truth. I just really like that you're saying this, this is a very serious moment of like, Pooh has to stop what they're doing and is being called by fucking the royalty. But it's someone just yelling, Pooh, where are you? <laughs> Well, you actually need to hold your ground because otherwise, if you go to the king, he tells you he didn't need you and just go finish the trials. Oh. As you meditate, a gigantic outline of a floating head descends upon you. Oh, no. Saying he is the spirit of your ancestors. To complete your trial, he must break your legs. Oh, shit. And you will lose the use of them. When he does, your health drops by more than half. <gasps> oh, fuck. Next, he needs to take your arms. And your health drops to zero. Oh my god. He says, now that you lay there, he's going to take your ears. Big Head is a dick. And when he does, the game sound goes silent. <gasps> oh, that's so creepy. He says, now, he's just floating words in the sky. Which means he needs to take your eyes next. Oh my god. The screen goes black. And you can still hear him. But I mean, like, it's still text on the screen. There's just no voices. Oh, shit. It says, now he can only communicate with you through your mind. So he needs to take that, too. Oh, my God. But your mind is the one thing you can't give up. You can lose everything else. But lose your mind. And you lose yourself. And suddenly sound fills your ears again. And you awaken on the mountain peak. Now you return to the palace, having completed your training. And everything's fine, right? Like, you need to use your legs and your arms and shit? Yeah, you needed to come to that realization that you can lose literally everything, but as long as you don't lose your mind, you'll be okay. Wisdom. The king tells you the prophecy of the three boys and one girl who will defeat the greatest evil. And that you, Pooh, are one of the three boys. You, Pooh. Now that your training is complete, you need to seek out Ness and the others and join them. And you were level one again when you started as Pooh. 
Oh, so you gotta grind. Well, you actually get so much fucking XP right out the gate, you level up to almost the same level as the others within minutes. Oh shit, that meditation was powerful. Yeah. It's a lot of life experience to lose a limb, so... <laughs> and then Pooh is taught the teleport ability, but his version doesn't require a runway. He can just run in circles until he gets up to speed. Oh, that's cool. And he goes to the beach where the others are passed out in the sand, tripping balls. <laughs> Who's like, I'm on a mission, we're gonna do this, and then he finds his entire party just like uh losing right. their mind on edibles, and he's like, This is the group? This is these are my friends now? These are the ones that I'm sent to save the world with. I left Dope. home for this. Oh no, Pooh. And unfortunately, Pooh kind of talks like Tarzan. Oh. Pooh is servant of Ness. Pooh fight at Ness's side. Oh no. Yeah, I don't like that part at all. I don't love that. But you finally have the prophesied group together, and you decide to visit the local museum to ask about pyramids. Because that was the one thing that Gygus didn't want you to know about. And you want to know why you're not supposed to know about it. You're shown a big hieroglyph on a slab that's been transcribed. And it basically describes the army from the mummy movies that protects over the pyramid. <laughs> and they only appear when you get too close in order to kill you. The slab also has some dance moves listed that probably isn't foreshadowing. And Pooh suggests going to Scaraba, where the pyramids are, to find out more. The curator of the museum also mentions another kid in a helicopter who also came by looking at the same slab. Mm. On your way out of the museum, the reception phone rings and nobody's around to answer it, so you do. <laughs> That's, you're not supposed to do that. It's the Museum of Natural History in Foreside. And they just made a huge discovery. And thinking you're the curator of the museum in Summers, they tell you to come to Forside quickly to see it. And when you teleport to Forside, the curator there knows you're not who they asked for. Hey, this is four children. But he says if you get a local singer's autograph, he'll show you his discovery. Well, you're friends with a local band, but is that not the same as the local singer they're alluding to? No, it's not the same. But like because you know the people from the venue already, you get through a lot easier. Okay. And yeah, she actually only has a banana peel to sign, but, you know, the guy's still happy with it. <laughs> in the next room in the museum, he actually found an entrance into the sewer system. He went down there and found the biggest rat he's ever seen. Oh, <laughs> that's not really museum worthy, but okay. Is it the rat from fucking Princess Bride? No, the, the rodents of unusual size? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kind of, actually, now that I think about it, but he's like, you should totally go down and check it out. That was the big discovery. Just a big-ass rat? Just a big-ass rat. But it turns out the giant rat was guarding the next power source anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, they say, hey, you weren't who was looking for. You are a bunch of children. But it's kind of very childish to be like, you guys. Right. <laughs> guess what I saw? A big-ass rat. And after defeating it, you find out the next one is in Dalam, where Pooh is from. Oh, okay. Hometown advantage. Let's go, Pooh. Yeah, you teleport there real quick and you get that one too. And now you have six of the eight power sources that you need. Back in Summers, you find a sailor that is brave enough to take you by boat to Scaraba because, of course, there's a kraken in the waters between. Well, there was a Nessie earlier, so like everything just exists now. Yeah, and it's very dangerous. And yeah, of course, it attacks you, but you kill it and move on. You land in Scaraba, which is a Middle Eastern town, and it's Closer to Agrabah than, say, like, Karachi. Okay. Lots of men in turbans, but honestly, nothing overly insensitive. You head off from there into the desert to find the pyramid you're not supposed to find. 
And when you get there, it's all sealed up. Mm. But there's a sphinx in front of it. And in front of the sphinx, there's a dance floor. You have to do the little dance from the slab. And then a door <laughs> opens in the pyramid. I thought we were going to solve a riddle. Damn it. The riddle was dancing. You fight through mummies and hieroglyphics that jump off the wall and attack you. That's fucking cool. The pyramid is a massive maze, and you finally make it to an exit and come out of a tiny pyramid somewhere else in the desert. Pooh's mentor flies in from nowhere, saying that Pooh must come with him to learn a new technique. Pooh agrees to come back to the group when he learns this new power, and he leaves in the middle of this mystery desert. You meet a Scaraba native, and he says that there's a giant living statue up north, and it has a door that leads inside of it. He gives you a key as he has no desire to fuck with it. The statue looks like a humanoid creature that is like carved from rock. And you go inside and a sign tells you that this is the new and improved Mr. Brick Road. Oh, shit. He finally fulfilled his dream of becoming a living dungeon. Oh, no. And you work your way through this dungeon body and finally come to the part with his original head. And it's just a face sticking out of a wall. Ah, so he's like fully built into the shit. Oh, that's horrifying, dude. He says that Dr. Andonuts built him this body. And since you have his son with you, he says that he's going to join your group. Is Jeff mildly horrified at what his dad's doing? I would hope so. Really, Jeff doesn't say a lot. He's very shy. Oh. And now you have a 20-foot statue in your group. <laughs> that Jeff's dad is responsible for, and Jeff's like, what horrors has my family created? You walk to the edge of the desert, and the statue gets stuck in some trees and actually can't continue with you. Oh, no. The next power source is across the water, and it's too far to swim. Mr. Brickroad says he has a submarine conveniently located in his cave body, and you're welcome to it if you can get to it. And you do, and you dive into the water. You make it to the next area, which is a swamp land, and you have to wade through swamp waters that are constantly trying to kill you. Of course. Yeah, because fuck swamps. I hate swamps. Fuck swamps. They're humid and gross and sticky. I don't like any of those things. And the worst part of Red Dead 2. Yes. <laughs> While trudging, you see a crashed helicopter, but no sign of Pokey. I hope he got eaten by the swamp. Fuck that guy. You even have to fight Belch again, who has trained and is now... Master Barf. Oh. Yeah, he's much stronger this time. And he almost defeats you. Oh, shit. But then Pooh comes from nowhere. Not like the substance, the person. No one just shits themselves? No. And he has his new attack power, and he kills Master Barf. Hell yeah, Pooh. Let's go, Pooh. Once you defeat Master Barf, you find an underground village of little green butt plug looking creatures. Oh, no. Called Tendas. And they remind me very much of, like, the Moogles or Mog from the uh, Final Fantasy series. I thought you were just going to be like, they remind me of all these butt plugs. <laughs> Honestly, they're like little butt plugs, they do. They're an extremely shy species, and only one or two of the villagers will actually speak to you. And one that will says he heard about a book that helps people overcome shyness. Maybe if you bring them that book, the community will stop being so shy. You go off to find this book when Apple Kid calls. He says Dr. Andonuts has been kind of busy. So he's been working on his newest invention, the Eraser Eraser. Oh, shit. I thought he'd be like, I've invented the cure for shyness. It's tequila. It erases things that are shaped 
like an eraser. But as he's on the phone, we listen to him get kidnapped by an unknown force. Oh my God, just at Jeff's dad's lab? Jesus. And the line just goes dead. Oh no. But then the phone rings again. This time it's Orange Kid. Son of a bitch. He's finally calling to update you on his invention he promised to show you way back at the start of the game. It's almost ready. They've almost successfully turned a hard-boiled egg back into a raw egg. I hate Orange Kid. Orange Kid is fucking useless. Fuck this noise. We need to go get Apple Kid. I love Apple Kid. Well, he's really calling because he wants to know if you've seen Apple Kid. Because Apple Kid's got this book about overcoming shyness that he really wants to borrow. Oh. But anyway, still working on that invention. I'll keep you updated. Bye. I hate him. You decide to teleport to Winters to go find out what happened to Apple Kid. He should have been safe, like you said, at Dr. Andonut's lab. Right. But, I mean, he's an idiot. Like, Jeff's dad hasn't even seen Jeff in a decade. Like, he's not good at keeping track of children. That's fair. And you get to the lab, and Apple Kid's pet rat is the only one there. Oh. He tells you what you already know. Apple Kid got snatched. Apple Kid would have loved hearing about the really big rat earlier, too. Right. I'm just so sad for Apple Kid right now. The rat gives you the eraser eraser and says, please go get my friend. Oh. He says there's a secret tunnel under Stonehenge that he thinks they took Apple Kid down. And in real life, Stonehenge may or may not be a secret laboratory or something. I don't know. There's a bunch of weird conspiracy theories about Stonehenge. It's probably part of it. (laughs) When you get down there, a giant statue of an eraser end of a pencil is blocking your way. And now I'll tell you why. It's pencils and erasers. It all stems from the Japanese version of this scene right here. In the Japanese version, this statue is a human statue with no limbs. It's like a torso? Yeah, it's a type of statue that's very popular in Japan called a kokeshi. And the word for eraser in Japanese is keshi. So they just thought it would be a fun play on words to have a kokeshi keshi. That's cute. I like that. Now, obviously, audiences outside Japan weren't going to get that reference. It just felt random. And the American translators were like, okay, the joke is that it's an eraser. So let's do our version of this joke. Oh, cute. So we have a pencil eraser that erases pencils and an eraser eraser that erases erasers. I love it. That's great. Yeah, if you say it out loud like I did, you'll see it's a fun little tongue twister. Yeah, I get it now. (laughs) That's fucking funny. Well, inside this underground, you're fighting what used to be bosses as normal bad guys now. Oh, God, that's how high up you've leveled up where you're like, damn it, this used to be hard. Yeah, the star man from the beginning of the game that threatened Buzz Buzz, you're fighting three of him at a time now. Oh, shit. And you got aliens and shit that you're fighting, all sorts of stuff. Then just to really fuck with you, they start throwing super star men at you. Super star men. Because you're three quarters of the way through the game now. And it needs to up the ante. And this underground isn't dirt and stone. It's metal and glowing alien floors. Oh, shit. So that's more of like a secret lab situation, not like a tunnel. Right. Wow. You eventually make it to a room, and it's full of gigantic glass tubes. And in those tubes are characters you've met throughout the game. (gasps) Oh, shit. A Mr. Saturn, Apple Kid, Dr. Andonuts, Tony, some townsfolk you've met along the way. And the next room is another Starman, but this one is a Starman Deluxe. It's the one from the box art. Oh, shit. 
He says he's worried the prophecy might actually be true. You weren't supposed to make it this far based on all of his calculations. So he makes his try at stopping you. And once you defeat him, the entire facility you're in shuts down. The room with the tube people are all empty and the people are all free. Apple Kid says he's just stoked he got to meet a Mr. Saturn. He tells you that the shyness book he had got returned to the Wynette Library, so you're going to have to go back there and get it. It was a library book. That's funny. So you visit the Wynette Library, get the book, and then head back to the butt plug beings, the Tendas, <laughs> and spread the good word of overcoming shyness. Aww. And one of them is so happy to reject shyness, they invite you to have a cup of tea. And we are treated to another update on our journey so far. And this game does such a great job of just gassing you up the entire time. Oh. Every time anyone talks about you and your progress, whether it's the coffee or tea scenes or your mom, they're always telling you, you're very intelligent. You're very brave. You're so capable and so strong. You can do anything you set your mind to. We believe in you, Ness. And they know you're probably going to name Ness after yourself. So when it shows up on screen, you're likely seeing your name there. Oh, that's sweet. They believe in you. It even points out, you are beating bosses like they're nothing now. And Gygus is getting scared. And he will stop at nothing to kill you. Because... We all know a cornered animal is when they're the most dangerous, and Gygus is starting to feel cornered. But don't worry, if you're suffering, it means he's suffering too. Also, have you seen Pokey lately? Mm. When this cup is done, the next part of the journey begins, and it's about to get weird. And now it gets weird? Yeah, about to. <laughs> this is the turning point? Yeah, it hasn't been weird yet at all. <laughs> by comparison to what's to come. One of the Tendas wants to show off how strong he is to you. Look at what a big butt plug I am. And he lifts a giant boulder. Oh, shit. In doing so, he reveals an underground cavern. You descend and meet a talking rock, who tells you that the chatty Cathy of the rocks is further in. If you want a talking rock, go find them. On the way, you happen upon the seventh power source. But this one is kept in a very different kind of tunnel. There's lights on the rocks here, and on a huge rock wall, words start scrolling like a digital display. It says, I'm Ness. It's been a long road getting here. Soon I'll be... Soon I'll be... What will happen to us? Oh my god. What's happening now? My thoughts are being written on the wall. Or are they? The words stop, and you collect the power and its melody into your magic stone. Yeah, but what the fuck, man? It's some wild shit, isn't it? Like I said, it's about to get weird. Hmm. There's a hole up ahead, and you dive right in. And you fall deep, deep into the bowels of the planet. And you're in a sprawling jungle with waterfalls and rivers and palm trees. And your character models are teeny tiny little specks on the screen. It's like the map zoomed out really far. As you walk, earthquakes shake the screen and geysers can be seen going off. And dinosaurs are roaming the land. Because we're in the land of the lost world down here. <laughs> you travel across the massive land 
And this part felt like in South Park, the stick of truth when you go to Canada. <laughs> and your characters are all really small and they travel across all of Canada. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing here. Love that. You eventually find a fenced-in enclosure run by a tribe of tendas that never suffered from shyness. In their enclosure is the Chatty Cathy Rock that you were heard about before. It says it's been waiting for you and has to tell you something very important. So take notes. You're the chosen one. And a time will come when everyone in the universe is going to overlap, including you. He tells you about the power source locations. Your stone has been recording those melodies along the way. And the last one you need is just southwest of here. Once you have them all, you can upset Gygus's plans. You head to the final power source and fight your way through a tunnel of fire, because it's basically a volcano, you know, dinosaurs. Yeah. You collect the final power, and the melodies that were collected at each location play in succession, creating a complete song. Oh, beautiful. I love that. We are taken to a black and white world, and Ness is all alone in it. Oh, no. He walks up a path to a house, and as he approaches, he vanishes. We see inside the house, and it's Ness's house. But he's a baby in a bassinet. We don't see them, but we hear Ness's parents talking about how cute you are, and they give you your first red cap. And Mom says, you're going to grow up a hard worker, just like his father. Who's still not even present in this happy memory. Deadbeat ass dad. Then one of them goes, huh, did you see that bottle he just pointed to move a little? And then the scene fades, and we are brought back to a new world. It's the inside of Ness's thoughts. He's in some kind of dream state, as demonstrated by the fact he's wearing his striped pajamas. And in the Japanese version, he's butt naked. Oh! <laughs> Except he's still wearing like his cap, too, though. But. Well, you can't go to sleep without your little cap. And there's giant veggies in the ground and dancing, smiling flowers. Mm. And there's buildings, but the architecture is very ugly. And everything keeps changing colors as you talk to someone in your dream. Because the dream world is full of people and creatures you've met along the way. Including creatures you've killed. Oh, shit. Even fuckface Pokey is here in your head, living rent-free. I want to wake up. I hate Pokey. This world is called magic ant and it's the source of your power you walk around inside until you find a house inside are a bunch of bird men they're each named flying man and one of them agrees to help you along your way outside their house you find the grave of buzz buzz oh no it says he appeared earlier in the game but died before he could achieve his goal and yes, it did say earlier in the game. I was just going to ask if it said in the game. <laughs> you fight some of your internal demons as you work your way through your head. And your flying man can die. And you can go back and recruit another one. I think like there's five in total. <laughs> They're replaceable though, is the point. Yeah, but you only get one at a time. And when they die, their grave pops up next to Buzz Buzz's. Oh, shit. So it's turning into a cemetery out there. It is. You eventually find at the center... A Mani Mani statue. It says it represents the evil in Ness's heart. Everyone has a little, and this one was placed here by Gygus to defeat you from the inside. With the statue destroyed, your mind is free. And you tell yourself that there isn't much time, 
Magic Ant will disappear now that the Mani Mani statue is destroyed. You say to yourself, go to Saturn Valley. A Mr. Saturn there has something for you. And you gain a shitload of XP and wake up with damn near maxed out stats. Damn. And your friends are all standing over you while you lay there, and they say you've been out for hours. Oh, shit. They're like, you've been not okay. And you're like, you guys, you'll never believe what just fucking happened. Well, they say as you were waking up, you kept saying Saturn Valley. And the group decides to trust the fever dream and take off for Saturn Valley. When you get there, Dr. Andonuts sees his son, Jeff, and is all, my favorite kid is here. Did you see him, Jeff? And he points at Apple Kid. Oh, no, that's exactly verbatim what happens in South Park. Okay, he doesn't say it exactly like that, but it's really the same energy. It is the same energy. And like, I knew this game inspired South Park, but I didn't know one of the best jokes from the game came directly from this one. It is like a perfect fucking joke. Yeah, Randy Marsh makes almost the exact same joke, and And, I fucking love it. And he like pushes Stan. He's like, get out of the way. (laughs) They're standing next to the phase distorter, a spaceship looking thing, but it's shaped like a giant Mr. Saturn. A science Mr. Saturn helped them with the build, after all. Mr. Science Saturn. And the phase distorter is an instant teleport machine that can go places your version of teleporting can't. It can also detect enemy forces. And it's detected a cluster in the Lost Underworld, which was the mini dino world from before. One problem, it needs a piece of meteor in order to work. Hmm. If only one had crashed recently. If only. And you tell of the meteor in Wynette, and he says it's likely Gygus has it fully surrounded by now, but go for it. And this is really going to be kind of your point of no return. Ah. So you should stock up now and grind out any further levels you may want, because when you get to Wynette, it is under siege by Gygus's forces. Oh, shit. There are aliens and robots and starmen everywhere. You fight your way to the meteor and break off a mite for the phase distorter and head back to Saturn Valley. Apple Kid sets to work and gets it up and running. Dr. Andonuts gives you the official point of no return speech and you enter the phase distorter to begin the final confrontation with Gygus. You arrive on a floating island in the lost underworld. But you're normal sized here. It's not like the other part where you were a tiny little speck. Okay, <laughs> you're normal. Yeah, it's like you're in a cave. There are none of Gygus's forces here. The place is empty. As you walk, Dr. Andonuts and Apple Kid arrive in the phase distorter as it sent itself back to them for like one final addition right after you landed. Gygus's forces are in this location, but they're not in this timeline. They're somewhere in the past. Oh, shit. The new addition they made to the phase distorter will allow for time travel to the past. Oh, my God. Problem is... It can't take organic material to the past, so none of you can go. Oh, no. However, if he were to pull a Johnny Silverhand, (gasps) he can upload your brains into some robots, and you can travel back in time that way. What the fuck? He's not sure what will happen to your bodies, but the fate of the world is at stake here, so really, who gives a shit? It's just his son. Oh, my God. Dr. Andonuts does his thing, and the four of you become robots this is fucking nuts you're right it does it really does just go off the fucking walls here and the nest one is still wearing his little red cap oh you can identify the robot by his cap yeah but otherwise you're all identical you travel back in time and gygus's forces are fucking everywhere and you have to fight so many of them 
And you better hope you are stocked up correctly, because if not, you're going to hate this part so much. You're just kind of fucked if you weren't ready for it. Yeah, the difficulty level jumps astronomically here. Oh, shit. And you have to dungeon crawl your way through. And now you're fighting the Starmen Deluxes as regular bad guys. And there's even more advanced versions of them to go with it. This part is such an ass kicker. (laughs) I was not ready for it myself, and I damn near gave up. Oh, shit. But like Ness, I kept going. And eventually made it to the mouth of a cave. That may or may not be shaped like a woman's legs opening wide. Oh my god. And the next part makes it hard to argue as we find ourselves on what can only be described as an intestinal tract. Do you have to be unborn? Wait. Oh, God. We follow the tract to a giant eyeball with no iris or pupil, just like a big, veiny ball. That's an egg. Go on. And slowly, the face of Ness appears where the pupil should. Oh, my God. And Pokey appears in a little flying vehicle like Modok. That son of a bitch. And he has an evil grin on his face. I hate Pokey. He says that he knows the prophecy is false. Because at no point does it mention him. (laughs) Because he's the one that's going to stop you once and for all. Motherfucker. And that Ness head that we saw is Gygus. And it and Pokey attack you together. Oh my god! Pokey says this is not Gygus' real form. Its real form would make you turn inside out upon seeing it. You can't comprehend its true form. Holy shit. Pokey says during battle that Gygus might be powerful, but it can't control all that power by itself. It's not that smart. It needs someone smart like Pokey to handle all that power. Bitch, your name is Pokey. Well, he turns off the device that keeps Gygus' true form hidden, and the screen itself becomes Gygus. It's just a psychedelic acid trip of a screen, bending and waving, and people have tried to decipher what they see in it for years. And it's kind of like an old screensaver, honestly. Yeah, just like one of those um, moves around with the music kind of shit. Yeah, and Pokey, like, during this whole part, he keeps running away to hide. Bitch. And taunting you from the sidelines. He's the fucking worst. Pokey makes fun of you, saying you probably want to call out to your parents for help to try and use your little telepathy trick and get out of this one. But you're in the past. There's nobody here to help you. You sad little warriors of justice. Because he was calling people SJWs before it was stupid. (sighs) And he's right. You are no match for Gygus. And even as the most staunch of atheists sometimes find out, When you are staring death in the face, the only thing left to do is pray. Paula. And you use Paula's useless ass ability, pray. And she cries out, please, somebody, help us. The scene fades away. And we see the entirety of Saturn Valley come together with Dr. Andonuts and Apple Kid as they pray the safety of Ness and his friends. Back in the fight, Gygus becomes weakened. So you select Prey again, begging for help from someone, anyone. And again the screen fades. And we see the Runaway Five, who are all overcome with a sudden urge to pray for their friend's safety. Again, Gygus is weakened. And again, you keep praying 
through the battle. And we continue to see people we've met along the way. The orphanage and Paula's parents. Tony with Jeff's entire boarding school. The people of Pooh's kingdom. And Ness's mom, sister, and dog. All stopping in their tracks. As they pray for the safety of Ness and his friends. Finally, Gygus' defenses are down. And it's saying to Ness that something's wrong. None of this feels right. Paula keeps praying, but the prayers aren't reaching anyone anymore. She has reached out to everyone on Earth, and they're all praying for Ness and his friends. But it's still not enough. She needs to reach further to someone else. Who else is there? Oh my god. And you see a series of dots on the screen representing a name. And it says that the series of dots begins to pray for these kids, having never even met them before. The dots start filling in with letters, as this person continues to pray. And you watch as your own name starts to fill in those blanks. Oh my god. And you can't help but pray for these little fuckers to win. <laughs> it's like clapping your hands so Tinkerbell lives. Oh my god. I have never seen anything like this before in a game. I've seen fourth wall breaks tons, like most of them in this game alone. Yeah. <laughs> but nothing has ever broken it like this. And as more letters fill in, Gygus takes more and more damage oh. until your full name is revealed. Oh. And finally, Gygus is defeated. And the screen glitches out because, remember, he was the entire screen. Yeah. Pokey reappears and says that while it might look like he's running away, he's actually just jumping to another time to work on a new plan. Oh my god. Andy pushes a button and vanishes. Son of a bitch. Gygus turns to static and phases into nothingness. And him turning to static is actually pretty brilliant considering the era because it was still the turn to channel three era of video games. <laughs> and most of the time that channel was a static channel. So it made it appear like the game shut off. We see the robots that we were inhabiting destroyed at the mouth of the vagina cave <laughs> and we see little white balls of light rise up out of them and fly off screen they're ghosts now back in saturn valley the bodies of ness paula jeff and Pooh are lying on the ground and the little light balls return to their bodies waking them each up oh good Pooh says he wants to take all he's learned on its journey back to his people and he vanishes to go rule his kingdom Jeff says it was fun hanging out, but he's an indoor cat and he wants to get to know his terrible father a little bit better. <laughs> he's like, my dad is capable of love as shown by his admiration for Apple Kids. So I'm going to try and scoop up some of that, I guess. And Paula asks you to teleport with her back to Tucson, her hometown. She has an orphanage to run, so she actually has shit to do. Yeah, and you drop her off at the orphanage, and she awkwardly says goodbye, obviously hiding a crush. Oh. You go home to your mom, and she makes you your favorite food. Bread? If it's bread, yeah. You call your dad, and he congratulates you on saving the world, and he says he is going to try really hard to make it to your birthday this time. He's not going to fucking be there. Fuck yeah, you. he swears. After your call... Your mom says a photographer dropped off a photo album. Aww. She wants to go through it with you while you tell her all about your adventure. Your sister and dog join the two of you as the credits roll, and you get to see all the fuzzy pickle moments you had throughout your adventure saving the world. Fuzzy pickle. 
And the credits even include your name as the player. Oh, that's very cute. The credits end, and we hear a knock on the front door. We are Ness again. It's the middle of the night, and we're in our PJs. It's Picky, Pokey's little brother. Oh, yeah. And he has a letter from Pokey that arrived just now, so it's definitely not from the mailman. The letter says, Come and get me, loser. Spankity, spankity, spankity. It's a spankity, spankity, spankity. And the scene fades away, and we get the end. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, no. Question mark. Eat shit. That's two in a row for me. (laughs) I hate it. And that was Earthbound. Ah, that's wild. I didn't realize it was so, like, immersive and fucking, like, breaking everything open. It shattered people's fucking brains. My own included. I didn't play this game until a couple months ago. Yeah. And I'm in my late 30s, and this this game broke me. <laughs> you did have kind of a moment when you were describing the praying. Holy shit. I that could... was insane. I just figured that might have been some leftover Catholic guilt or something with prayer, <laughs> but no, you're just really just having a moment of how beautiful the game was. That was beautiful. I'm so glad you thought so. This game is emotional. It's powerful. It's one of the most beautiful games I've seen just from a Super Nintendo era. I, I am amazed that this game looks the same today that it did then because it looks like something that could come out today and kill. It's so ahead of its time. Entirely. What I think they did with, like, for example, the characters and stuff, I think they built it on a giant pixelated thing so when they shrunk it down to the screen it just had so much more detail yeah it wasn't just there were no corners cut is what you're kind of saying yeah so that way the shadings the coloration just everything is it's a beautiful beautiful game the music sound effects everything that go with it that's incredible now that was a fucking ride i didn't know we were going at all during any of it i just know i hate pokey Pokey sucks. And I mean, there is a sequel, Mother 3, that came out. It has never seen a U.S. port, though. Mm. Uh, not for, you know, I mean, obviously the reason is because Earthbound was a flop at first. But it's right. also people have tried to get this game in the U.S. And people are begging for this game in the U.S. And the main character is also in Smash Brothers now. Oh, that's so good. As I said, it was the most influential game I think we're going to cover. That's beautiful. I mean, like, you can clearly see a lot of the lineage in just games we've covered in games I've played and all sorts of shit. That's absolutely incredible. That was a fucking ride. Thank you for taking that on. Absolutely. And, you know, I said before I was a little bit nervous about it just because Earthbound fans are fanatic. And <laughs> it just means there is love for it. I get why. This is a fucking great title. It truly was. And I'm so happy that it got discovered. I'm happy this didn't die as like unfound media you know yeah yeah you're happy it finally made the splash and got the recognition it deserved entirely well through prayer all things are possible yeah (laughs) anyway when it comes to earthbound (laughs) not like through flooding and shit but but... to take the most useless ability in rpgs and make it the center of the game and why you win is fucking beautiful it really was giving fucking tinkerbell needing applause to wake back up right that was awesome well anyway goombas we said earlier that we had some special announcements to make and so we have hinted at one of these announcements earlier this season We have made the decision to archive a few of our older episodes. 
Uh, reason being is that we just don't feel they represent the show that we do today. Yeah, they're not good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it's not all for, like, it's going to be mixes of seasons in one and two. It's ten episodes we're going to take off and put into archive. Uh, just a little bit of a mix of those two seasons because, you know, we were still figuring out the show. The yeah. way we justify this is that the end of season six, even with those ten episodes gone, we'll have more hours of content than we did at the beginning of season six. Yeah, so we're net up. You're getting more content. You're getting more quality content. And these episodes still will live forever on Patreon access. So, yes, you know, we are still kind of making final decisions on which episodes they are, but we're going to start kind of phasing out the ones that don't represent the show for what it is. And frankly, there's some that I'm just not super proud of because I didn't do as much research as I should have. And they deserve better. These are all great titles that we're covering now. You know, we're in a space where we're just able to celebrate gaming for what it is, the storytellers, the creators, the performances. And some of these don't fit with those pillars of what we want this this show to represent. So. Yeah, and we want to give you guys plenty of warning because, you know, people with, you know, like a premium membership can download those old episodes right now, keep them on their phones forever or on whatever device you use. You know, we want to give you the opportunity to get those episodes if you just like binge listening to us, you know, to get through your work days. Totally get it. We also figure our biggest fans are the ones that are going to want to hear those earlier episodes, which is why they're going to go over to the Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, regardless, there's going to be another episode next week. It's going to be awesome. We still have a couple episodes this season, so you're still getting a lot of content weekly. And of course, it's going to be episodes that we are proud of and we are stoked to share with you that will always be on here. So, yeah, it's not a matter of killing old seasons. It's a matter of killing content that doesn't fit with what we're proud to bring you. And in fact, next week is a follow up to an earlier episode, you know, so be excited for that, too. Yeah. And an older episode that's not going anywhere. So no, you that can, one's staying. You can binge that one back to front. So that's good. And also the other announcement is our discord. We have opened it up to the public. Yes, with it now integrating fully with like PlayStation and stuff, we thought it's a good idea to open it up to everybody. So if you'd like to join us, you can just find us. It's the other castle on Discord. If you need some help, hit us up on Instagram or through a message on our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. And we'll also have a link to it in this episode description. So if you just want to hit it on your phone, we got you. There are discord channels for every single episode you'll be able to talk to us if you have corrections we have an um actually channel and if you are part of our patreon there are going to be exclusive channels just available to you where you can talk directly to us bring shit up you know pitch us ideas send us cool shit play pokemon go with me yeah it's fun stuff promise all right goombas thank you so much for listening thank you for earthbounding with us yeah thank you all so much this was a fucking ride fuzzy pickles to all of you i was cheering for poo more than i was cheering for another child and that's where my life is at right now because <laughs> fuck pokey yeah fuck pokey indeed Ugh. all right thank you everyone we appreciate it we will see you on discord and instagram and if not we will see you next week on the other castle yes this is tom and andrea reminding you don't skip the cutscenes. Bye. Fuzzy Pickle. I miss you.